this week, Quentin, we are the proud and cowardful um, to represent the uh, the newest, hottest tag team name that was teased for like months. And then it felt like, oh, they're not doing it. Remember when the New Day stuff was going on and they had like different names for each version of the tag team? And all, and it was like, what is this group going to be? And then people were talking about like, oh, it's like a new nation of domination, which is, you know, obviously the same thing that um, Darius Lockhart had tweeted about, where it's like not every, you know, black wrestler is just the same as every other black wrestler that's ever existed. Um, so, but like, yeah, it was that whole thing. And the Proud and the Powerful felt like the same thing. It was like they had, they were saying it, they were putting it places but they weren't it wasn't official yeah, it wasn't announced. Yeah, they were just like in promos or whatever and then they actually it was online. They come out yeah and then and then this they have this awful theme song at full gear <laughs> yes which was terrible which we will talk about full gear in a little bit here that's pretty much the the whole show this week honestly it's a, not that there isn't enough you know podcasts that talk about aew but luckily like we're not an aew podcast so we talk about a bunch of different stuff, but AEW is a focus for us because I think we both really like it right now. And that's the cool thing about having a show that's not an AEW podcast is that if we don't really like it, we'll just stop talking about it. Um, yeah, so. and also, like, you know, like, even for this one, I think me and you both thought Full Gear was, like, a good show. Yeah. But, like, there was definitely problems with Full Gear that I'm going to talk about. Like, I'm not, oh, like, yeah. so I'm not going to be like, well, you know, I'm just going to ignore all the bad of AEW. Like, I, there were there were a lot of problems on full gear that were pretty much their own fault <laughs> oh totally and they continue to have the same issues over and over again but we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the news the elephants in the room this week uh shout out again as always to the the underscore core wow core yeah wow i guess is how he said to pronounce it that's always always always, always said it as core wow yeah, me too, but he whoa whoa i guess w okay so he, when he sent it when he told me how to pronounce it w O A H, which would be whoa, right? Yeah. Yeah, core whoa. Whoa, core whoa. So that's it. Um, yeah. So, you know, segment producer. Um sending us the news notes. Minor news note, Kenny Omega. This is something I think that probably sent not even a big deal, but something that me and you would be the kind of people who would care about. So I think that's why he even mentioned it as a news note this week. Kenny Omega now having trouble entering Japan for the first time in his career basically um ever since he's left new japan very interesting super petty but fuck i mean this is wrestling you can want to talk about petty like that's nothing compared to the shit that uh that vince pulls you know wwe pulls but but yeah interesting to see is kenny omega getting sabotaged by new japan i think that there was an official statement released from someone representing new japan saying that they're not fucking with kenny omega in any way um so yeah what do you uh <laughs> what's your take on this i mean so WH Park, who, who I, th- who I believe lives in lives in Japan, he does and has for and, a long time. Yeah, and does um, stuff for post wrestling. He did a thread talking about, well, no, Kenny Omega never had res- residency in Japan. I don't even have like he he doesn't even have res- residency in Japan. That's like a really hard thing to obtain. But who is also going into this thing about? If your visa expires or if your visa isn't valid anymore, then that's your responsibility and that you are the one that has to deal with that and not your former employer. And it was all a bunch of valid points. I think this one is a little bit more, you know, out of our depth. Like, we're not guys that decided that we were going to decide to up and move to Japan and we don't know the inner workings of that. So it, it, it looked really weird. And I can understand in Kenny's mind that, like, thinking that, 
this company that clearly has a problem with him and the Young Bucks because Kenny was still offering his services and still wanted to come over and do New Japan, but he didn't want to do, but they didn't want him anymore. And, but there's the same company that's bringing over Chris Jericho still. So clearly New Japan has some sort of issue with Kenny Omega. So I can understand in his point of view that, oh man, this never happened before. New Japan must be fucking with me. But yeah, I, th- I think that's a sort of a dangerous thing to assume there. Yeah, no, exactly. And it doesn't, it makes perfect sense. I had mentioned that in the Slack chat, you know, when people were talking about this, I, as far as I had known, Kenny had, t- you know, s- told me in person at a PWG show once that he never had any kind of full permanent or any part, even partial residence in Japan, other than the new Japan dojo or the dojo of the company that he was working with at the times, um, historically. So I knew that. So when people were talking about, Oh, he's been there for so long, it's like, well, he's never truly lived there. And that's, that's weird because like he has, and he hasn't like, not like in a documented way, but he had, he has lived in Japan. Right, for a very long time. But he made it work so, without actually having a residency. So that was so that was the weird part. Like, not that I didn't believe it, but for the fact that Kenny Omega has been going back and forth and sometimes spending the majority of his time in Japan for almost 11 years. So to hear that, that like that was a part where I'm like, are, are, are we sure about that? Are we sure he never had a residency? But again, I'll leave that to people that would be more experienced in that field to to answer that because it just sounded weird at first for how long kenny has been in japan right and i mean the point about the visa is true and the idea that like never had any problems until he's not with new japan makes perfect sense because it's the first time that he's gone to japan without having a proper employer in japan since that's he's a, that, yeah oh yeah that that's yeah. the big thing here too is right. that he had ddt in new japan like like oh yeah i'm gonna go work for these japanese companies right like i'm like i'm actually a regular guy there doing a pop-up appearance in ddt is like you know it's not it doesn't hold the same weight as you being a contracted talent right and the thing is is that he's going to be on the records as someone who was you know a former visa alien um worker in the country so on the paperwork when they check they're going to see well this guy has a history of working in this country while technically having citizenship in a foreign country. So we're going to be a little bit more, you know, kind of leery of the idea that he's coming here for anything other than work because he has a history of being someone who works here. That's the thing about people who come into the United States from Canada, especially is like, they don't have any document wrestlers a lot who are independent wrestlers and aren't really on the books for working. Don't have any documented history of coming to America for work. So it's pretty easy for them to sneak through the border and say that they're just coming as a tourist. But in this situation, Kenny has a long-term history of being a someone who comes to Japan to work. So they're going to assume that he's coming here to work. And if he doesn't have the proper visas and everything in place, then they're going to check him because he shouldn't be coming in to work without the proper visas. So the whole thing makes perfect sense when you step back and look at it. But I get where people are coming from because it does seem like, you know, sour grapes or whatever from New Japan. But it's like, no, I mean, this is just the government doing what they're going to do. Because they do have sour grapes there. That's the thing. Right. And that's the other thing about it is that they definitely do. There is definitely some kind of bad blood between Kenny Omega and New Japan. But that's not say, where like, this If is anyone from. hasn't, like, it wasn't unfounded. Chris Jericho is about to work the Wrestle Kingdom show. And Kenny Omega, when AEW first announced, his, like, Meltzer, I guess he had went with what Kenny had told him. 
and Kenny was under the assumption that he would be, that he would be able to just come back and work New Japan. Yeah, and New Japan was like, nah, fuck you. Like you, we pushed you like this, and you're leaving. So no, never mind. Chris Jericho, they're cool with Chris Jericho because there was never any sort of loyalty or tie there. And so, this is no different. I mean, this is the same amount of dates that Chris Jericho has always been working with New Japan. He was yeah. really only doing big shows. So, Kenny, it's a different thing. They're like, we don't want you as a special attraction guy. Jericho, we always did want him as a special attraction guy. Well, that makes sense. Um, Other news and notes, smaller news, notes, bits. Uh, Pro Wrestling Clash, I'm not familiar with them really at all. But I am familiar with IPW UK, both closing. So, more European... <laughs> wrestling companies closing we've done a pretty good job the past couple weeks not talking about the european wrestling scene being completely dead but uh more companies closing huh i mean good news i mean uh, mean, there's no like there was no reason to bring it up but like we know and they're not just gonna come over here as a reminder like yeah the european wrestling scene is fucked guys hope you you remember that right when you go when you go when you go do everything else this weekend yeah, but when the news comes out, it's hard to not mention it. And one thing that I thought about today crossed my mind when I was kind of hearing British Wrestling Experience. Shout out to, to Jamesy and, uh, and Benno Richardson. Good guys. Uh, I wish I could remember who the third host of that is. But the, so many of those guys are on different podcasts together. Um, either way, um, talking about the NXT UK deal. Will it ever go on the network? What's going on? You know, as the wrestlers get to kind of come and go between the indies or they're not allowed on the indies different times. One thing that crossed my mind was NXT UK, the idea of it even existing was built on the backs of like all of these talents who got to become something in these different companies throughout Europe and then got to the level where they were on the WWE radar to get signed. But now as the European scene dies and if WWE is really not putting any effort into cultivating the scene, like what happens? It almost feels like the NXT UK guys and girls that got signed right now and are part of the company, they're like, the one generation of this roster that's going to exist. And as they just like slowly die off the brand, it feels like the brand will just slowly die off because where are they going to get more talent from? They're not. Yeah, I, Go ahead. I said, I said that months ago when we first were talking about, when we first launched a podcast and we we're talking about NXT UK is that if anything, like they're not helping to build anything. I said, they're not coming back for your friends. They're not coming back for Curtis Chapman. They're not coming back for OJMO. They're not coming back for Jordan Brakes. They're not coming back for these guys. So you can do all this posturing about, well, in, like European European wrestling isn't dead because we're going to make sure that it stays alive. Well, no, they're not coming back for your friends. They're going to do this. And then once the, well dry, once the well dries on this, which you very well might in the next year, there will be no more of this NXT UK bullshit. Like, I don't like, it's not like they're going to release these guys. If anything, they're going to send all these guys to NXT, to NXT and do whatever but like we 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 knew from the jump that they were not here to cultivate the scene they were here to take the scene and kill it and any of these wrestlers who thought otherwise were just being lambs led to slaughter because they should have known better right it's just it's just interesting because it's like they grabbed they picked up the talent the key talent that they wanted that were really the people that were helping like make noise and companies that were making noise and now they're just kind of like slowly suffocating them basically and then once that once that flame kind of burns out that's it and it feels like yeah like it's really weird to have this entire imprint brand that you've built in nxc uk that's really just one really just gonna be one generation of a roster and then that's gonna probably be it it's just very odd 
what's going to happen is they're going to take the guys that actually make a difference or could be eventual difference makers. And it's going to be like Walter, Pete Dunn, Tyler Bate, and guys along those lines. And they're going to be the only ones that have any longevity in the company. Maybe Joe Coffey, because for some reason they really like him. But other than that, everyone's going to everyone's gonna sit there and not be nothing, not be used or be like NXT UK is going to become some main event equivalent where no one's actually watching the show and I doubt anyone's watching it in the first place now but it's going to be the same thing as the initial NXT UK stuff where the best guys are going to get taken and then everyone else will fuck off right exactly and that's what's happening and it's just it's very odd it's very very odd um, um company- I don't know if you oh, caught I don't know if you caught there was a David Starr versus OGMO main, main event from Progress Chapter 97 I haven't watched and- it yet but I heard it was really good it, I mean, it was fine. And I think any, like David Starr's really good in it. I've said I don't think OGMO is that good yet, but he's clearly stumbled onto something which has made him popular. I don't think he's good yet, though. But it was just so notable watching that match. And it feels like, again, any other progress year, even as late as 2017, a match like that with a young guy in a main event spot facing an established name like David Starr, the crowd would be molten hot for that match. But the crowd just is not really into it at all. And people will sit there and defend it and say, well, no, it maybe come across, came across better in the building. No bullshit. Like people were not into that match the way you would think for a match that is defining someone's career up to that point. And that's what progress used to pride themselves on. Like these career defining matches. And then OJMO has one right there and the crowd is sitting on their hands. And I thought that was, a really big testament to where the scene is right now. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And the crowds are just not, they're not, it's not the same progress crowds. It's not the same progress in general. And just the scene in general is just slowly dying off. But talking about scenes slowly dying off, um, this is, you know, no one to blame really but themselves on this one. But a company that used to be near and dear to our hearts in CWF announces canceling all live events for the basically foreseeable future. Um, puts out a press release basically talking about, you know, planning to reschedule, change, mix up a lot of stuff, change a lot of different things. Um, feels like this is in a lot of ways a long time coming, but also kind of shocking. <laughs> you know, like weirdly, it's like it's felt like CWF has been dead for a while already as far as I'm concerned. But uh, but uh, it makes sense for them to basically just slowly close out. But I thought that maybe they would just continue to exist at the level that they had always existed for forever basically or until you know the owner just decides to give up on it or or died i guess is what i figured would happen but yeah did, was this the same for you because like it just it kind of felt like it came out of left field it's like wh- why now did you need to do this why is why is this happening now i mean if, i don't know if you pay attention at all to what was going on in the company like just like ca- like capturing the results or not really no. stuff that was being booked but they were hanging on by a thread Hanging on by a thread, like clearly creatively, they had just given up. They did not care anymore. So, listen, like right now, it just made sense to me. And I want to take this time to go back to. Okay, there's a lot of things that we couldn't say publicly about CWF back when me and you were both huge fans of it that me and you both knew about the company. And one thing that me and you didn't know is that pretty much a majority of the company other than guys like Brad Brad Stutz and Cecil Miller 
they didn't want us watching their product. They didn't want anyone <laughs> that wasn't, you know, coming to the sportatorium or their home audience really watching their product and it actively annoyed a lot of the people. And that's one thing that me and you both got told. Right. Like, <laughs> like I'm not I'm not making this up, right? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Okay, so they didn't want people that were out of towners or guys people people that weren't coming to their shows watching their stuff even though that people like me and you and everyone else that was helping with wrestling wrestling with words at the time and Dylan Hales and everybody else and you and Pete that was that was doing this speaking wrestling with you we're all propping up CWF to the point where instead of their hundreds of views that they were getting on YouTube they're now creating videos with these trevorly title defenses even other stuff like eric royal matches and all that stuff they're getting up to thousands of views on youtube but for some reason that isn't what they wanted and they sort of resented us for that fact so i just want to go on record saying that cwf was a company that everybody loved and really wanted to put on a pedestal and that at various points everyone was saying that's the promotion of the year that's my favorite company in the world or trevor lee's the best wrestler in the world or trevor lee's my favorite wrestler in the world or trevor lee had the best title reign of 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 the generation or eric royal should be getting booked everywhere but you know this 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 is part of a thing where you want to insulate yourself so much and when people want to like you and want to help you you push them away so fuck cwf and that's all i have to say there yeah i mean i'm with you and the thing is is you know we talked about it um we talked about it just last week about you know our lack of bias and our ability to really separate personal from how, what we say and up until the end of CWF being available to watch basically easily on YouTube or in general at all. Um, I pretty much heavily praised it and talked about how great I thought everything was. And we like the but people had this misconception that we just cared about the Trevor, about like people like us only cared about the Trevor Lee thing. Like, how do you think that turned into people like Eric Royal and Chet Sterling and mega mercenary and Aaron Biggs, Aaron Biggs getting bookings. Like, Obviously, Stutz wasn't involved in some capacity, but it's because people praised them and liked them. So, I don't know where the people in CWF had got the got that idea, because anyone that watched CWF really liked the actual product, not just Trevor Lee. Right, but pretty early on, I was told the same thing that you just said, is that they wanted, you know, it was a special private thing, and it wasn't meant for us to be watching, and they wish that we would just keep our mouth shut and not talk and not go, and all this, but... Even knowing all of that publicly, I still continued to praise how much I enjoyed everything. And all I ever really had to say was positive stuff until the company started to fall apart. So it was very interesting, like I said, just to point out the, you know, the, the lack of bias. It's because from pretty early on, I was told that they didn't want they didn't want me as a fan. They didn't want me as a voice. They didn't want me as a booster of the company publicly. And I continued to, to boost and praise them, even though I knew that. So, again don't t- i don't take things personally my friendships with whoever this and that i talk to someone whatever you know all that stuff doesn't really matter what really comes down to it is what i enjoy and i really enjoyed cwf and it really sucks that you know their <laughs> unwillingness to just embrace the fact that they were popular is like what then ends up basically killing the company now which is you know they were expanding and they were growing so it's like did you not realize that the reason why you guys were doing these big numbers and sellouts and all this stuff was because of people talking you up while you're while you're getting a record set, record setting audience for that battle for that battle k 2018 show or the year before bread attitude is because people were excited about cwf but you lack this self-awareness 
and you're so stuck up your own ass that you don't that you're just sort of like oh man these crowds like like you want to reap the benefits of having people like us view it but then you don't want us to actually talk about it either which is counterproductive and makes zero fucking sense yep so the big stories from the week quentin cm punk comes back um to wwe kind of did you even watch the clip i haven't even watched it i saw i saw the clip okay what do you think about this what do you think about punk coming back with the whole situation I mean, we, I mean, I'm just, I don't care because I think it's just the Fox had wanted people, someone with cachet to come and do this WWE backstage gimmick. They're pouring all this money into WWE. They really want to make this thing work. So I think there was pressure there. I think there's more of a Fox hiring and I don't expect this to turn into CM Punk actually wrestling or coming back to WWE in any meaningful capacity. But we also know that people that don't like CM Punk are going to turn this into CM Punk dunk hour and call him, you know, what we call Walter, a coward and and all these things. And I mean, I do just want to point out that CM Punk, when he comes, if he comes back to wrestle, he's probably going to get exactly what he wanted in the first place, which wouldn't make him any of those things. But either way, if he's back and he's making a bunch of money, for talking about talking about WWE on Fox and not actually working for Vince or anything like that, then you know it's very different than what people would try to make it out to be. But I'm just curious on how people will try to spin this into some CM Punk is going back on his word thing. Did Punk really ever say that he would never go back? Like, I think he. D- I know that he said he was upset. I think he did. But I think he did, but it was like he might. Have. It was it was fresh off. So what, like so what's so what's he gonna say there? He's fresh off of this thing where they fired him on his wedding day. Yes, he's going to be upset. He's going to say things like that. So, and and it's kind of tough because he was having legal situations, and it's like there is something to the fact that you kind of have to be careful about what you say when you're in the middle of you know legal battles. No, that, that, like, that's a different level of bitterness there. Like we could talk about right. the. Austin walking out or eventually we're going to talk about the like the ACH thing coming coming up after this but there was a legal battle going on there and that takes it that takes a that turns it into a different level of animosity right well yeah and I mean you can't if you're in a legal battle with someone where you're saying that basically it's such a hot let's just say theoretically it's a, such an unsafe working environment and such a hostile work environment that you had no other recourse but then to just leave in the middle of a, you know your contract where you're expected to continue working there, you can't really be on the record saying, "Yeah, but eventually I'll work yeah. there again." You know what I mean? Because that really just completely undermines your case. Now, does that make Punk a high moral standing individual who clearly didn't like fudge the truth or say things that he didn't necessarily 100% believe because it helped his legal case sure sure it did i'm not arguing to say punk is a yeah, good guy no, like, no one said, no one said he didn't exaggerate right but yeah so i think that the idea of saying that like he's a sellout and all this stuff whatever i don't i don't fucking care when it really comes down to it punk being a sellout and going back to wwe and i understand why people have an issue with it or it makes them view punk in a different light and all this stuff it's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to shitty things that people have done in wrestling. You know what I mean? That's not even a shitty thing either. Because again, even if even if it turned yeah. out to be him 
actually coming back to wrestle, which I still don't think that is, then what? He he did exactly like the WWE did exactly what CM Punk said. CM Punk probably expected they would is that he leaves, and because of that, he is this bigger. He is a big star now, and now he's getting all the things that he wanted when he was there at first that they wouldn't give him. So like right. so so like exactly what like what is the point he's arguing there? He's pretty much proving the he's pretty much and proving I, the point he made all the, all those years ago. And I mean he's one of the he's one of the only stars of his generation. And WWE needs old stars to come back, and the ones from the older generations are just getting older. He's and the older only star that can come back right making now, making less of a deal. John Cena, yeah, like John Cena, would need some time away before he's a, even a difference maker again. I think. John Cena would need some real yeah. time away, is the thing, and not even length, but time where it actually feels like yeah, he's time where it feels like he's like he's about, like visible, yeah. doing other stuff, and like he's away. CM Punk has been doing that, and he's separated. CM Punk, that was only like, that was only five. Yeah. That was just going on six years, but it was only five years ago, when the when the when the, when the CM right. Punk stuff happened. That feels like so long ago, doesn't it? Right, because there's actual a feeling of separation. Like I said, like I'm saying, like Cena never feels like he's been out of the wwe so him coming back doesn't mean anything it feels like a return it just feels like him being back a return to the show not a return to the company which is the the major difference there and to have big stars come back you know makes a difference and and unfortunately punk or cena is not he doesn't feel like a star that way punk obviously can't i think even moxley (laughs) like give moxley a couple more months and a moxley return would actually feel like a big deal because it feels like he's been out of the company you know, even bigger than Cena at this point. So, but that was actually, that leads me into something I wanted to mention. Cause I heard people talking about why didn't AEW bring in punk? Why didn't they work harder? And Oh, Tony Khan, you know, made oh, a big offer and all this. Stupid. But, Everyone who said that is full of shit. <laughs> that's fucking stupid. But here's the, here's the fucking thing that I thought of when I heard someone saying this, and this is kind of my point is for all the people that want to make some kind of fucking, you know, dunk on AEW. Oh, AEW. Oh, you know, Punk is coming back. If he was willing to come back, then AEW should have done whatever it took to have been the place where he came back to. Here's the thing. They got Moxley. And for all intents and purposes, Moxley is the CM Punk who can still wrestle. Yeah. Moxley is the CM Punk that's in his prime. It would. It's. It's. I was trying to think of the comparison, and it was almost impossible for me to come up with, with the good comparison. But the closest thing I could think of is like... You know, everyone talked about WCW going to the well with the old guys, the old stars that washed up people. And it's like the closest comparison would be like what AEW doing by having Moxley be their guy, their WWE star who comes back would be like if they hadn't gone with. I was thinking Bret Hart, like if when Bret Hart came into WCW, they had actually pushed him as a top star. But even he is like old feels older at that time when he came into WCW finally than he was older because he would like even like again like his. All like all like his, when his, his WWF stuff when he first comes in, and then by nineteen ninety by nineteen ninety eight when he's when he when he's in there like yeah Brett is old, right? So it's like even that, but like comparing it to like Hogan, it's like when Hogan comes into WCW and then basically Austin leaves, they stop focusing on Steve Austin. Like that's basically what you're arguing for if you're saying that they should have done everything they could to get Punk, and you're overlooking that what they did was they actually focused on the guy who's of the moment in Moxley rather than Punk, you're, you're saying basically the same thing. They should have brought in Hulk Hogan and just fired you know, Stone Cold. You, That's what, you, what you're you saying. You know what it is? It's super dishonest, too, because they say they do bring in CM Punk, and then CM Punk is like a big star for them. And say CM Punk is completely washed as a wrestler, and they have him in these marquee spots. Then it turns into, wow, you're putting 
like this old washed up CM Punk over uh, over all the other guys mm-hmm. in the roster. It's like it's such dishonest bullshit. Because if, if AEW did that, then that'll be a problem. And people, oh, it's so fucking frustrating. It's dumb as shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it. They really they made the right choice. And I, I can't shit on AEW at all for this because they made the right choice. Moxley is the guy for everything that you would have gotten out of Punk. I think you get it from Moxley and you actually even get a little bit extra out of it because I've talked about it in the past, but Moxley speaks to a segment of the fan base that almost no wrestler does. The only wrestler who I could think, and someone mentioned this, you know, about the two coolest wrestlers in the company are going to be wrestling each other next week on Dynamite with Darby. I think Darby's the only person who comes close to speaking to the same segment of the fan base that Moxley does. And almost no other wrestler does that, attracts that fan base. So, what you've got with Moxley is the same thing that you would have with Punk plus extra plus he's in the prime of his life when it comes to his in-ring wrestling. So, I mean, it's like, why would you want Punk? I, I guess maybe because you think Punk's a bigger name, but Look, I, I, he would pop a rating. I don't know that he, he really is. Rating. Okay. Long term, Punk would, Punk, like Punk, especially if he can't wrestle the same way, it would be a problem. And you know that. Anyone who says that knows and understands that. That, yeah, so pop a rating for three like three weeks maybe depending on what they have punk doing but once that bell rings and if cm punk is just not a good wrestler anymore that would then become a problem and then that becomes a talking point instead of wow aw got cm punk watch how quickly that would have turned into aw's coming in and put in and pushing this washed old guy well here's the thing punk wouldn't even have to be washed as you're talking about that i thought about it and here's the elephant in the room or the thing that people like to overlook Punk was never really a good wrestler. So as soon as he gets in the ring, even if he's as good as he ever was, the memories and the lasting impact and the stuff that people think of when they think of CM Punk is going to completely outweigh what you're actually going to get in ring because he was never an amazing in ring wrestler on, if we're being honest with ourselves, he's never a super athletic guy. None of that stuff. Was he one of the best of all time? I would definitely yeah, say a, yes. Because he's a genius. He, he's a genius that had a mind right. board that covered up all of his physical uh, physical deficiencies. Right. But the second he gets in the ring and he wrestles, the, even if he wrestles the same as the best peak CM Punk, people are going to, it's not going to be the same because people, it's going to be compared to the memories. And the memory is always bigger than reality so people are going to go oh he's lost a step they're going to they're going to be inclined to instantly think that no matter what so really he's a bad bet all around like there's no it would not make sense for that i get that it would like you said it would pop ratings it would do a lot of stuff for them in the short term but in the big picture it's honestly an albatross around the neck of the company and they're really lucky that they don't they're not in that situation you know like they they honestly in a lot of ways dodged a bullet and I think that they would have easily, they would have definitely signed Punk if they had had the ability you to. Know, you know what would have happened but, there? Is that they signed Punk and then everyone at first was like, oh, wow, that's a really big get for, for AEW. And then what? Say, hypothetically, right, that turns into a Jericho versus Punk thing. Do you know how quickly the TNA comparisons would start rolling in after that? Right. Like, now, like we've, now, we've, now we're venturing off into Raven versus Jeff Jarrett territory. Yep. Like there was no win here. And again, I know it sounds like we're like big AEW defenders and like we're gonna rectify that once we talk about full gear. But I feel like people <laughs> just say stupid shit because AEW is expected to be this perfect company. And no, they like yes, they made the right decision here. <laughs> yeah, or I don't even know that they made the decision. But they ended up in the yeah. right place. 
you know, they may have just, Punk may have not been interested. And even if whatever, and they just didn't have any way to bring him in, and they're lucky. They're honestly lucky for that. Or maybe they did make the right decision. I don't know. But I will say that they're in the best situation when it comes to this, you know. Because, yeah, like, Punk would, he'd just be too much of an albatross. And honestly, things could change. If AEW becomes more established and you have more stars, you could still bring Punk in later and he would still probably pop a rating. So I think that they're better off now being able to establish to get to a point where he could actually mean something. Them, about, so and not I was going to ask you, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're with me in that. I don't think this turns into punk wrestling, but like, are, are you in the same boat there? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that it's not going to happen, honestly, but I think that there's going to be moves. I think that things are going to happen. I don't think that it's just... It's going to be a seamless transition, and then boom, he's just going to start wrestling. I think that things are going to fall into place, okay. and it's going to happen. But it's not going to. It's going to. It's going to be one of those like Rube Goldberg. All the right pieces had to come together, and then it just ends up happening. I don't think it's like just a natural. You know, it goes from this to eventually he's in the ring. Okay, so let me get like just say like a over under on CM Punk making his in ring return in like twenty twenty at SummerSlam. He's had a, he had a lot of good matches at SummerSlam, um, but I don't think so. Honestly, I think that he's going to be one of these randoms, like when Kurt Angle showed up on what show and he joined up with oh, the Shield TLC. when it was yeah, supposed TLC. to be that he wasn't. Yeah, it's gonna be something like that. Honestly, it's gonna be something weird and random, and it's not gonna be like actually built to a big show and it makes sense because that's how WWE works. Yeah. Punk is going to come back for Hell in a Cell, you know, and he's going to wrestle Brad Maddox. He's going to dig Brad, Matt, Brad Maddox up for a match with CM Punk? Yeah. Yeah, so that he can get his revenge for Brad Maddox screwing him in that title well, match I, or whatever. Or I think it was the Well, obviously, the real, the real money match here is CM Punk versus The Fiend. Yes, exactly. That's what everyone wants to see. It's a, it's a real, I'm trying to think, Deadpool versus The Joker or something, you know? <laughs> That would be, that's what everyone really you know what's, wants what's funny is as far as like just straight up comic book stuff Deadpool was probably my favorite comic book character and then seeing the movie and then seeing the movies it kind of like made me feel like, feel like damn like why was, why was Deadpool my favorite comic book character right it was like, it's like, <laughs> like it's, yeah. it wasn't even a thing where I felt like they did the movie wrong like that was pretty accurate to the source material and it's just like damn like why, why, like, why was your favorite character <laughs> Why did I like this? Yeah, no. I mean, we're all young and dumb at some point in our lives, I guess. <laughs> and I think that Deadpool is definitely a young and dumb thing. You know what I mean? You're a fan of when you're when you're kind of still a little bit more rebellious, I guess. Um, main event of the news topics this week, Quentin. I'll let you get into it. ACH quits the WWE in a passionate uh, YouTube Live video. What do you think? Um... So it's, it's a, it was a Twitter thing and it only wound up going like a minute long. He waited a few seconds and then, uh, so there was this whole mental health aspect to this ACH stuff that people have been talking about. And frankly, I don't really want to get into that. I feel like that's turning in fact, like, that's a hard thing to talk about there. Like, I'm not saying I don't believe anybody that's brought that up, but I just don't feel like getting into, into that territory in depth, but the growl he did, I don't know if you I don't know if you watched the video, but as he's waiting for the, the live chat to fill up, he does this growl when he <laughs> see when he sees someone that says something negative in the chat. 
and then he just go and then he just goes off like that. And that was that that part was kind of distur- kind of disturbing for me. But yeah, man, I I, I don't. I didn't see this ending. I didn't see this ending in a nice way. I didn't see this ending in a good way. It seemed like WWE had made their stance pretty clear that ACH had quote unquote gave permission, and that was who and like whatever story that guy told them was that what they were sticking behind. So I didn't I didn't see any turning back here. I didn't see a situation. I didn't see a situation where it's like Leo Rush or the Revival or anybody else where the people that, that have teased leaving. And then that turns into getting a push and um, be, getting a getting a title run and all that. I, there was no way this ended nicely, but I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't expect to see the vi- the video. I was thinking maybe we, we would just get a straight up like, you know, ACH is released now, so that's it. But yeah, yeah, man, that, that it was it was really really strange. Yeah, and and you're right about the mental health stuff. It's not really any of our place to to comment or on like, I'm not or like, play like, yeah, like, or like anyone like, or like anyone's rather again and I'm not saying I don't believe anybody that hasn't brought this up but I don't like speculating on that kind of stuff if right to like I feel like people maybe are underselling the fact that it could just be WWE and that situation really fucked them up and the people that are close to ACH are saying, well, no, I was worried about him before this and all that, then that's different. But I feel like people are kind of underselling the fact that your dream job kind of shitting on you and saying they don't believe you and taking the side of the merch guy that you feel like did you wrong is going to fuck you up in some way. And like that's, I, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm a little hesitant to go with the full mental health thing. Not that it's not valid. It's just... Like there's other stuff that I feel like could be could be there. Well, even if people were worried about him before, for whatever that means, like when is before? How long ago? Like that doesn't refute the idea that the issue has been being in WWE. Like he could have been having a lot of issues, exacerbating a mental health issue that he already had because of the way that that company is. I mean, fuck, everyone talks about how much of a nightmare it is to work there no matter what. Well, yeah, like there was so, there was a time even before there this was a time yeah. in like the you know, mid 2010s where everyone talked about how great the locker room morale was and then that just completely went to shit the last few years. So, yeah. it's a, it's totally plausible and there's a ton of people that have been saying this too, which is why when you go into the mental health aspect, then my 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 conversation, my question, like you brought up here, is well, how long is it? Because if you go through the history of the last few years of people that have wanted to leave WWE, everyone, everyone there that has left, especially if you want to go to like John Moxley, have dealt with some sort of being in WWE mentally drained me and fucked me up. Especially in the case of Moxley, where he is like saying, "Am I depressed? Am I depressed going in here every day?" And have to wrestle with the fact that he was depressed going into work. So that, that would that would be my only takeaway there. Or just I just want well, I would just want to know a timeline if we're gonna if we're gonna get into that. Right. And it's crazy to think about Moxley, a guy who's never had a you know, an office job really. He's been a wrestler his basically his whole life. And the idea that he had like the blue Mondays and was like, Oh, I hate going into work. Like, that's fucking nuts. He's had the dream life forever, but like that's what this company can do to you, you know, WWE that is. 
So the idea to say like, oh, well, he was already having issues before this. It's like, yeah, he was already working in WWE and it's been fucking draining him, obviously. And I mean, the guy has shown, we, I talked about it, his issues and the stuff, all these things. Like he had issues, you know, obviously backstage. Do I believe that they're, you know, justified, whatever, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. He's, he had problems with people. People had problems with him in ROH. He, maybe he's just not a corporate guy <laughs> like you know like that's a small time company but maybe he's just not a guy who can work for a corporate company and wwe being b the big leagues corporate bullshit like probably could fuck with him i i don't know but then to talk about it and again you talk about not wanting to speculate on stuff like psychiatry psychology is not an exact science that only a few years ago like homosexuality was considered a mental illness and that's not that long ago transsexuality gender dysphoria was not considered a real thing until recently like the idea that you're gonna say like make any kind of like well actually the problem here is that he's crazy you know like i'm sorry but people who go to fucking decades of school and study this stuff forever don't really understand the human brain that well so to say that like oh well we can explain all of this away by saying that he's crazy it's just showing how ignorant you really are and that's all that I'll say about that. Like, you can talk about that, like, we should be worried about him. People should be trying to help him. Don't use this as an excuse to just dunk on WWE because you don't like WWE. Sure, all of that stuff is is fine and true and right and whatever. But also, that doesn't make him wrong. The idea that, like, there's... That maybe he's having mental health issues. That doesn't mean that he's in a good work yeah, environment. Yeah, that's the thing, and it's too. just... That he like, has mental I don't, health like, I don't want this to take away from the fact that WWE, instead of taking responsibility and believing their employee that said, no, I didn't clear that. That shirt was a different color when it got presented to me. And while well, saying, well, you know, whatever. And just putting out that statement is a fuck you to, is a fuck you to ACH. And you can take that personally. We've all been in jobs where something happened, whether or not they like the, like our employer apologized for it or whatever, where it just feels like a slap in the face. And it's hard to come back from that. And especially yep. in this case where it has racial, where it has these racial implications, and it feels like people are acting like you're trying to make up shit or just lie to get ahead because why would you lie about something like that? Like, yeah, I understand why he's so hurt, why he's so upset. I understand the fact that you feel like this, you know, whether it's minor or whatever, this injustice has been has been has been done to you and that you would just sort of like an answer for it. And your employer, this dream job for you, was sort of well saying, fuck off, you did this yourself. That's 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 gonna hurt you. That's gonna hurt your feelings, and I think that's the part that I don't like getting lost in this. Is you can say oh, ACH overreacted. You can say all that. You can say all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I feel like WWE didn't try to do any sort of job of mending the relationship with ACH, and I think that goes into this work environment. You know where WWE where WWE is right now as a company is that they're not talent friendly, and as someone who had a legitimate grievance with them, they go to sort of told him to go fuck himself right and i mean i can't speak to this personally and i don't want to assume that you can we'll say but i would think you have a better chance than i do but to talk about ach mental situation to imagine the amount of work that he's put in to his career we talked about it we've been watching him for a long fucking time and just how much better he's gotten in the past is he's dealt with a lot of shit of people effort. don't want to talk about and right and like, I'll, like i'll give like i'll give people going. credit here like rover has rover has been on this ach mental health thing 
but he's also been right there when ACH was do- when the ACH and ROH stuff was going on, and he was right there telling you right. telling everybody that no, there is some shit going on in Sinclair, and and might and might have some racial implications, and right. uh, like it's and that that stuff is all like it's not verified. No one sat there and confirmed it, but again, we talked about it the last time we talked about ACH. There's enough fire. There's enough smoke there to assume there's a fire. Right. And and yeah, what like my point being that he's done so much, he's worked so hard, and he's finally got the dream job that everyone tells us and he needs to shut his mouth and just appreciate. And you get there and you've busted your ass. You've become the best that you can be. You're one of the best wrestlers on the planet. I think both of us probably had ACH in the top twenty last year for oh, wrestlers, yeah, for right? Sure. Uh and and to get there and to think that you're going to make it and then to see that shirt and to see that no matter how hard you work and no matter how good you become, you're always going to be a black man before you can just be a man in the eyes of the company that you're working for. And I'm sorry, but that realization is going to be something that's going to hit you really fucking hard. And I don't care who you are. How are you going? You know, it's going to be really tough to overcome that because of how much work he's done and to think that basically he's going to continue to be defined by being black more than anything else in the eyes of this company. And there's really nothing he can do about it. It's so, so yeah, obviously this isn't like a apples to apples thing, but does being black, I've had that same experience just in other jobs, obviously not as high profile as ACH is, but just even something like I'll go like one of my first jobs was as a dishwasher. And I was, there were three, there were three black people that used to work, that used to work in the kitchen with me when I first got there. And within a few months, the rest of the black employees there were fired and I was the only one left. And then it gets to a point where things are happening in the kitchen or, or whatever. And they're blaming me for it or asking more of me. And I'm like, I'm the dishwasher. <laughs> like, like, I'd like, I don't like, yeah. Like whatever people do, like people doing drugs and people going out and smoking weed or doing whatever and going into work drunk. Isn't my problem. I'm the dishwasher. I take the dishes. I go back and I wash them. But it's this constant feeling of knowing that every time that you go into work, you're somehow going to get the short end of the stick there because of the color of your skin. And that's not, and that's not exactly what ACH situation is. But it's probably how he feels. And that he voiced a complaint and that he voiced something that he felt like was a really valid thing. And he felt like the company didn't care at all. And that is a really, really trying and difficult thing to deal with. That I'm not sure anyone like like anyone is a like you can't put that in perspective a lot of the time. Just going into work and feeling like you're hopeless in that whatever you do is under this big microscope. Right. Yeah. I can't blame the guy for feeling the way he feels and reacting the way he is, honestly. And it takes a lot to, again, like I was saying, it takes so much just to get to the point that he did with the level of work that he had to put in to become, you know, the caliber of athlete that he is. And yeah, to then have it, everything have a a cloud hanging over it because no matter what you do, you know, you can't overcome the color of your skin. Yeah. It's like, that's like, that's just, that's just a reality. And I, I feel I don't want that to be the thing that gets lost in here. I don't want I don't want it to get lost in this situation of speculating about ACH's mental health and every and everything else here. That 
ACH is a black man working in WWE and a shirt got made that got changed without his permission or the shirt was the shirt was different from how he was first getting told about it and then he's suddenly in the wrong here and then again that and that's what the start and that's what that started off as and hopefully hch does speak out and give some more light to what was going on in wwe after he gives himself the time and maybe if he need, if he needs to get better take the time to get better but i don't want that thing to get lost here that ACH is a black man that wanted to speak that wanted to speak up for himself and everyone was sitting there acting like he was the boy that cried wolf yeah exactly well <laughs> that's a lot of fun <laughs> conversation to talk about there Quentin but uh, let's get into something that maybe we both enjoy a little bit more than institutionalized racism in uh, AEW's full gear yeah um, in Baltimore I didn't wind up going I was at, I was at work that night so I decided to just cash the cash the stream of it, but it was a it was a pretty full audience from the from the picture from the pictures I saw of it. The Royal Farms Arena typically has pretty good pretty good acoustics, so I was a little surprised when I saw the full the full uh, like the Royal Farms Arena being being pretty full, and then hearing the audio on the stream of no one feeling like they're making any sort of noise until Jericho versus Cody and they're really as the only one that has sustained heat but I guess we I guess we can get into I want I don't want to break down the show first I want to maybe open up with our thoughts and criticisms and that's my main thing here is this is a good show I feel like with a better crowd we might be calling this the best AEW show yet I think the in-ring was good, pretty 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 continuously, and I think better than most of the shows that they had, that they had put out yet. But I think this is where me and you have both enjoyed the TV. But I think this is where the problems with the TV have surfaced. They have done yeah. a good job building the Cody versus Jericho feud. That's a big feud. They've also done a good job building individual talents. But they do, but they didn't do a good job building the map, building the matches here, other than other than Cody versus Jericho, and your mileage may vary on Omega versus Moxley. Other than that, none of the matches here were well built, and that is and that is the big problem that happened with this show. If you're going to go forward with this pro, with this programming, with AEW, with everything, you have to do a better job with promoting the rest of the show, because otherwise you get these things where the crowd is not into anything that's going on there for the for the majority of it and you're better than that and granted we we talked about this last week when we were talking about people wanting people wanting people wanting AEW to sign and push more people of more people of color and saying how limited they were with the TV time they have and trying to fit in everybody else they have already that needs to be established but this this company has to do a better job with this stuff and if the and if we're and I'm gonna maintain any confidence in the, confidence in AEW going forward, I need I need to see a TV product that is working towards pushing the other matches on the show and not just individual people. And granted, I'm gonna give them this pass. They just started the TV. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill them for this the same way that I will kill WWE because they have no excuse. But by the time the next pay per view rolls around, 
if this better be this better be a pay-per-view where every match feels like it was sufficiently built or at least the majority of it because if you're gonna compete on this level there's no justification there's no excuses for that you have you just have to be better right and and i agree with you in a lot of ways i think that the a, a bigger issue to me with the show necessarily that kind of it stems out of the same thing is the show is built really old school in in exactly what you're saying in that you know you draw the house on the one big match and historically that was kind of how wrestling worked and the rest of the card could be stuff that people will enjoy but they won't necessarily aren't as invested right. in. so getting the biggest reaction for that what is ostensibly the main event with the post show kind of dark lights out match kind of not counting or more of like a special attraction um is fine but i would say that my my bigger issue i can see where you're coming from that you want more investment and everything and then that's part of it you want more investment in all the matches and feel like there's stakes and i think it's fine to not do it that way if you're going to go with the old school but the issue is that they mix that up because they they don't stick to that because then the rest of the card all the rest of the matches are just too long and if the rest of the matches are really kind of cannon fodder undercard not important people aren't really here for these matches then they should be a little bit snappier mm. and they shouldn't be invested so it's really the worst of both worlds in that you're not invested in all the matches across the show as much as you could be and you're also they're having the matches go too long and so what you're getting is a lot of matches before the main event that are long and you're not that and people are not that invested in so yeah like i i get your point and what you're saying and i agree with it in some ways but i guess my only counterpoint is like you could you can deal with it two ways. You don't have to change the fact that the only match that the crowd really cares about is the main event. That's actually not historically a bad thing. Wrestling companies have ran for years and years based on that idea that there's one big feud, one big match, and that's what everyone really cares about. And everything else is, you know, interesting and you watch, but it's not necessarily the real thing that drew everyone there. But yeah, you don't want to invent, you know, because now the new thing is you can't have quick matches. You can't have, you know, just nothing wrestling that's just filling a card or else people are going to get bored. But it's like, this is the worst of both worlds because now what you're getting is long, boring matches that everyone doesn't care about because they're not invested in them. So it's like, God damn, it's like you're really hitting me from both ends on just a, a card that... And it's not a bad show, but it is just like, it's you have to pick a booking philosophy and in stick 2019, it. In, um, in 2019, kinda, you can't yeah. do that. that. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I agree with you. Yeah. It's very old school. And if you go to any sort of old JCP show and go watch jc watch jcp tv and then watch the subsequent big specials or anything that they would air it, it follows a lot of, it follows a lot of the same ideas it follows a lot of the same every like the big match the big money drawing match is what you care about and as long as that's hot anything everything else that can be fine that can get polite applause but what you really want is you want people to go get stay for that main event and they're left and they leave the main event wanting more i understand that in 2019, with the internet and social media, you can't do that because that makes you look bad. And I think they have to be more right. aware of that. Is that even yeah. if they might not care about the fact that no one really was into the pre the other matches on the card, other people are going to care, and that's gonna, people are going to take notice of that, and people are going to make it feel like there is an interest in the AEW product because of that. The big things that happened on the show were really over. MJF's turn got massive heat Cody versus Jericho had a lot of fan interaction 
from that standpoint, that's a home run. But if we're judging it with 2019 eyes and how people in 2019 are going to critique wrestling shows, then like the Young Bucks versus 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 Proud and Powerful getting a less than stellar crowd reaction for the Young Bucks, one of the bigger acts on the show, and then Proud and Powerful, uh, uh, act that people are familiar with and have uh, been pushed as, as something that is important, not getting that good of a reaction that's going to look bad for you. And I think like that's like that's more the thing there. They have to keep they have to keep in mind the optics more, I think. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I mean, talked about it. I don't, you know, we still have stuff to I guess maybe get into before we get into breaking down the show, but talking about specifically the Bucks and it's like the kind of talked about it with the the ladder match um against uh the Lucha Bros from um the All Out, you know, the last kind of big show that it felt like the old young bucks were back as the kind of, you know, big crazy fireworks show off guys. And so having them be the hot opener here felt like it would make sense, but this felt like a major step backwards for them as a star act and a big deal. And it really, this was not the role for them and they really didn't deliver in it. Um, you know, as, as, as that, yeah, hot opener kind of act in a lot of ways. I think that they need to really th- rethink what they're going to do with, especially the big time key players in the company. It's, it's a thing that I think the Bucks are equipped for. I think that if you're going to have anyone be in that role, it probably is best for the Bucks. The problem is it doesn't feel like their opponents, I guess, in that match really, really worked up to that. And that can and that can lead us in a little bit to talking about the show, but I think the Bucks are working up to that standard and they're doing stuff and they're ideally they're exciting the crowd and they have these cool ideas that you think like they would be the perfect guys to get the crowd to get the show started. But I think I think I think Proud and Powerful just I think they dropped the ball in that match. And one thing before we get into the to a show breakdown, the early estimate. For the full gear buy rate, they did this on pay-per-view, obviously. AEW does not have a streaming service. That sh- that hopefully will be a thing that they roll out in 2020. But AEW does not have a streaming service or anything, so pay-per-view is still a big thing when judging them. And the early estimate is 100,000 buys or a little bit less, a little bit more. And that's around what the last two shows have done. And clearly that's a little bit... Like there, you would expect more. There's a lot, there's a lot to be desired there after having a month, a month and a half of TV. So, do you put any stock into the fact that the pay per view numbers didn't grow? I mean, definitely, without any question, that you would expect that the pay per view would would have increased. I mean, it's a good sign because it shows you have a really solid base. A hundred thousand is not a bad number for them for buys, especially in this day and age with with. Fifty dollars, basically, on pay per view, yeah. on terrestrial pay per view for this. Um, that's really good. In twenty nineteen, getting a hundred thousand people to buy a pay per view is really good for wrestling. Yeah, a wrestling show getting a fifty dollar pay per view to sell a hundred thousand buys, and that being your strong base that's clearly not going anywhere because they've been buying your pay per views the whole time, is good. But yeah, the fact that you're not converting any new fans with the TV to being buying paying customers is not a good sign. That said, I mean, you mentioned the streaming service and they are partnered with, you know, the Bleacher Report Live, BR Live. So I don't know if they're going to, if they're 
if it's in the books for them in the cards for them to roll out their own streaming service because they're already kind of partnered with a streaming service right so i don't know we'll see so we can, we can get into the show here and they open up with the young bucks versus proud and powerful match that they've been building to since they since they did all out and the proud and powerful debuted and this this is this is one too where this match has name value, but they could have done a much better job trying to promote trying to promote it. And they go in here and they act like these teams have such bad blood. But if you go back and actually watch the build, there's a there's a few brawls, but nothing about nothing about Proud and Powerful versus the Young Bucks really felt as volatile as they tried to make as they tried to make it out to be. And that is something that's a, some that's sort of a problem where when the Bucks introduced this leg injury into the match, and that was a big thing for the Bucks in 2018. These limb and body part selling-based matches where the Bucks were turning these great performances, but sometimes their opponents wouldn't actually work on these things. Another like A big, big example of this is when they had these matches with Evil and Sonata, and you have Matt and Nick selling their back and leg respectively, but Evil and Sonata are also doing nothing to work on these limbs. So it's just entirely really great selling by these guys and not actually great work from the opposing tag team. And here you are with Nick in this match selling his leg. And Proud and Powerful do literally nothing to work on his leg at all. And it is utterly fascinating. Because clearly that had to be part of the match layout. I don't think it was Nick just going in like, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and start, start selling my leg because fuck it. But... How do they not work on Nick Jackson's leg at all? And it takes away from a really good selling performance from Nick because they just refuse to do anything to it. Yeah, I mean, it's the phantom leg injury where he he causes it himself, he sells it himself, and then they get no heat on it or work on it in any way. Why is it in a vacuum? There's no reason for it to exist. Um, It's a nice little wrinkle and it's interesting, but... Again, that's like where I think that they fall flat having the Young Bucks be the, the hot opening team at this point because they put something in here like this that doesn't really get any super investment in it. So it really just feels like an added in wrinkle that takes away from this just being oh, a hot well, you, match. And you know what, too? That just feels like a waste. This also goes back to the Bucks Lucha Bro stuff because if you remember, the Bucks tried to reintroduce the, the, the Matt Jackson back stuff into it. And. They even introduced. They even tried the story of the Bucks haven't been teaming much lately. They haven't wrestled in a long time. Are they still a cohesive unit? And they have a few spots where they're yeah. clunky and bumping into each other and all that. But then the Lucha Bros, they don't go into the idea at all. And that's that. That's why I'm at this point. Maybe I'm not gonna blame the blame the Bucks for it because it feels like they're like they're opposed the opposing teams aren't even trying to get that same narrative over and that they're just not on the same page at all. Right. And they're, I mean, the thing is, is that they're in a different place. And I think that the teams, while I like a lot of the teams that they're bringing in, but it's like, I mean, one of the, one of the teams that they brought in that the young bucks have that personally brought in was, you know, private party and private party feel more like they fit in with what's what these matches are supposed to be what they're trying to do here more than the bucks in 2019 do because the bucks are trying to do something else. That's why like, I think like the bucks and SCU could ha- have really good matches. You know what I mean? The bucks and, and the Briscoes have had really good matches. Cause there's more, there's like depth and story and stuff, other things going on. 
other than just fireworks and all these teams that they're building this tag team division out of are not the teams for these kind of matches. So I get where you're coming from that you don't want to blame the Bucks, but I mean, they're putting together the, the, the tag division in a lot of ways. Yeah, but, so yeah, but I can't, is, yeah, but whose they, fault is yeah, it but really? They can't you know? control them. Like the other guy decided I'm not going to work on this leg. Fair. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. That's like, fair. Like, <laughs> and then this, go ahead. Like, like there, he's selling the leg. He's hopping around. He, He's having a problem giving, getting to the top rope, and then you just don't work on the leg. And no, that, like that's some level of awareness there. You, you like you are a professional. You see what's going on here and what this other person is trying to do, and yet you aren't. You just aren't going with it at all. And, you're, and yeah, and, but I mean, Nick also threw a bunch of crazy spin kicks and stuff pretty much directly after selling the leg too. Though I mean, you know, they should have worked on it for sure. But he also didn't commit yeah, I'm, to not, it I'm not saying it, i'm not saying it was perfect but it was just like, I, I just i just expect more and maybe maybe that was my fault but you know that me i've never been a big proud and powerful or lax guy but and even going back to the ey fbo days i've never been high on these guys but the cck versus jonathan cck and cck of gresham and brooks versus lax match from i think progress in new york that I got a big bunch of praise. It showed that these guys were at least cognizant and capable of doing selling based matches, and to see them to, and to see them just not go along with it at all, I thought was just really strange. Just because, just because, yeah, just because I know they can do it. Like with the Lucha Bros, that's not their style at all. So you can, like, I would, ha- I would be fine blaming the Bucks for that one, just because matches with matches going into that territory that just really isn't their thing. But I've seen LAX do that before. Right. And, 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 you know, I'm not giving a pass to anybody. I'm just saying that obviously there's issues there in general. And then when you, you mentioned it, where you talked about that, like this match didn't feel like it had built. And part of the thing, and I, I meant to say something, and I don't know that I did when we reviewed the last time we talked about a dynamite or I think I just talked about it, but there was an episode of dynamite that like <sighs> proud and powerful were all over it. It felt like every couple of segments, they were the, the guys that were attacking someone or jumping someone or being involved in angles and stuff like they were all over the show and they're constantly, you know, being the, the nefarious kind of henchmen beating people up and all this. And it just, I think it really lacks, it really like made it so that they feel like they have no focus. So the idea that I'm supposed to care that there's like a personal issue between them and the bucks really did not get conveyed on the TV at all because proud and powerful feel like they're all over the place. They just have no focus. So I can't blame them completely because the writing has, I don't think has helped their characters feel important. We talked about it with the name thing. The name thing I feel also makes, made it hard to like commit to them because you didn't just like, that's, a, that's you know, like a, that's like a weird they are. late eighties baby face tag team name. Like they're heels, but they're proud right. and powerful. <laughs> well, even not even just the name itself, but the fact that you didn't just commit to it and call them that from the yeah. beginning, it made it like hard. I don't like, I don't know who they are. They haven't, they're, they haven't established them. They haven't, they didn't even, they wouldn't even give them their name. And then they're all over the shows. They're, 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 you know, Jericho's henchmen. They're jumping people constantly. They're involved in a bunch of different angles on each. So I don't, I'm not really invested in them as the guys who really hate the young bucks because they've done almost nothing to the young bucks except for come out after, you know, the young bucks, you know, lose to the Lucha bros in a ladder match and, and attack them or whatever. And then that's it. Like that's now I'm supposed to believe that there's this big heated rivalry between these teams. You haven't shown me anything. 
And there was a there was a promo video I think on the next episode of Dynamite or maybe it was somewhere else where they were explaining the proud and powerful name and I'm like oh, okay I I get these guys but back to what you're just saying the the promo video felt like a babyface promo where they're like you know we're proud of our heritage you can be proud of anything you don't have to just be proud yeah, this like, is not what? just a I'm, Puerto Rican like, I'm, like, thing I'm like I'm upset at them because they're proud to be Puerto Rican <laughs> yeah and then they're saying but there's but they're not even just saying that they're proud to be Puerto Rican they're saying like you could also be proud of being LBGTQ you can <laughs> yeah, be proud of this, this? you can be, be proud of anything and that'll make you powerful and I'm like wait what the fuck <laughs> like how are these bad guys like what the fuck is this so yeah like that's part of it too. You're not going to get any heat in this match because I don't know who these fucking guys are and you haven't established them to me in any way. And then that promo video, it's like, Jesus Christ, these guys are pure baby faces. Like they, they feel like major baby faces. Like, wow, they, 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 they're gay, they're gay rights advocates. I really must hate them. I yes. don't know. Maybe that's the, maybe that's yeah. the AEW fan base, but like, right. like oh yeah. fuck, these guys, a- these guys are LGBTQ friendly. Fuck them. Yeah. Fuck them. I want these guys out of here. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I'll say just not a strong opener for the show. And I won't say set the tone, but definitely didn't help in, like, making the show feel like a big deal coming out of it. Um, the next match I thought did, though, I really liked Pack versus um, Adam Page. And I honestly think that the most consistently flawless performer that AEW has has been Pack. Yeah, very... There's no, there's nothing even to criticize them for. Like there's other there's other people yeah. where, you know, you could you think that they could be doing this and like maybe like this a little bit better, but yeah, he he's been flawless. Yeah, but and I mean that's not just in AEW. Honestly, he's been one of the most just consistently awesome workers in wrestling this whole year. But AEW, it's really just glaringly <laughs> you just see it in this guy how good he is and every one of his matches the finishes with this new brutalizer hold feel really important and cool and just badass and definitive. And he just seems like just, he kicks ass. It, it so makes, I really like, how makes me feel bad yeah. that he's not, he's not the champion in the AW. Like Jericho was working regardless of whether or not people like him. Jericho is working in the parody video that he did of the co- of the Cody video package from like the second week of AW is yes. one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It's, it's really just phenomenal work. So Jericho's clearly working there, but I just, man, Pack has been so good. Yeah. But. And, and this match helped. I thought not really. I was going to say it helped establish page. It really didn't. It just, it was just an awesome performance from, from Pac. I, mean, I like, so the, my main thing with the match was that I felt like, you know, it went a little too long. But that's fine. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think that was that. That was a big. That was a big deal or whatever. But does it feel like people maybe had un, unrealistic expectations of Adam Page, given the other people that are in the company, like at least for right now? I think. I think. I think I everyone to... thinks that eventually Adam Page it might be a player, it might be a guy. But does it feel like people might have had unfair expectations for what Page was going to be from the onset of AEW? I think yes, but also I can't blame anyone because he was presented as the guy. I mean, they put him in the first title match and it felt like he was supposed to be the first kind of star that they were making okay. or whatever. Okay, for argument's so, sake, you could say that he, he was the guy in the title match because they didn't want anyone else losing, though. Yeah, like, which fair. which I think Which I think is the reality of it. 
is that he was the guy in the first title match, sure, but they also didn't want Cody losing, and Kenny and Kenny Omega had just had just lost to him. He's not about to lose to to him again, and there's no one else that could have done it. Like I like I think now that we get um more removed from that from that initial title match, I think that's what's looking like more and more to me is that Paige sort of had to be the guy because Cody wasn't going to lose. And he, uh, Jericho had to beat Omega in order to get Jericho as heat. Yeah, I mean, he was probably the right guy at the time for the spot. You're right. And I think that, I think that you're right in a lot of ways that people shouldn't have looked at it this way. But I do, I can definitely not blame people for seeing the way he was being positioned and expecting it to mean that they were actually committed to making him the top guy when realistically all they were doing was putting some steam behind him so that it would feel like something when Jericho beat him for the title. No, I, like, I, no, I, so you're probably I, right. Like, I get it. I'm not, blaming, I'm not faulting anybody for thinking that even I, I, I thought that, but I think now after getting removed from, removed from that show a, for, for a couple months later, I, I feel like clearly that was, that was, that's what was going on. And I think we just sort of assumed that because page one, that was like a big thing for page and this, well, no, we didn't want anyone else losing there. Right. No, that's definitely a good point, and it makes a lot of sense. And he was probably the guy who could absorb the loss the best, and will continue to be that guy for a while because he's the he's got a lot of he's, potential. He's, like he's not he's not established uh, at all. Like, right. Pack obviously had wound up pulling out, and we had no, well, no, that that was a different show, but. Pack was there, but they're trying to build. They're trying to build Pack up a little bit. There, Ken, Kenny Omega is doing this whole losing thing. Cody clearly isn't. Cody clearly isn't going to lose. Mox, the Mox wasn't. Mox wasn't even on the show as he had was dealing with the, dealing with the elbow thing. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think we're going into into in like into like just being realistic when you just take it back a couple of months. Not that anyone is retroactively wrong here, or that you're stupid. But it's just like, oh, okay, maybe just Paige wasn't going to be the guy when AEW started. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, the first kind of big show that AEW did, the, you know, I don't know if people consider it AEW or not, but the was it All In? Um, he had the, the, the match with Janela that kind of felt like a show stealer, but was definitely a mid-card match against the guy who's clearly presented as a mid-card guy now in Janela. So... To think back to it, yeah, it's like he was always positioned at this level. I think that they just they were put again, they were putting steam on him to make it a big deal when he got to the championship match, but he was still, I think, always supposed to be seen as kinda of at this level and, and and a project that they're gonna build him up. So I can't say that they're wrong either. Cause again, like even in this match he wins, but still I feel like Pac comes out feeling like the the bigger star of the match. So Pac is Pac is so Dave good, Pages, man. Like the, be- yeah. the begging off and the stooging and the way he just times everything in the trans the transitions the brain buster onto the chair was like fucking oh, sick yeah it just co- just comes out of nowhere but Pack is just so good at, just so good at everything that it kind of overshadows that I thought Paige was good in it too not the best I've seen from Paige but he was he, he was good there would the match have worked with anyone that wasn't Paige either of course like. It was just a really good right. pack heel performance, and anyone could have looked good in it. But I thought Paige, but I thought Paige looked good there. 
and more and more by the week is just gonna get upsetting that pack that pack that pack isn't the champion. Right. Well, here's the thing about pack when you talk about how how it could be good with anybody or or whatever. Like you know, pack had a pretty good match with Ben K, and you know who's able to do that other than like legendary all time super workers like Mochizuki. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> gotta give pack a lot of credit there. All right, what, what, what was after that? Uh, Sean Spears versus Joey Danella. I really don't care to talk about it at okay, all. Okay, hold on. Um, Joey was really good in this match. Fair. I thought Joey... But I was one of my care about Sean Spears' matches I understand. All. I understand anyone that did not give a shit about this match at all. Joey was really, really good in it, and it's the best I've ever seen from Babyface Joey. Like, that, that, that's all there. I'm not here to. I'm not, I'm yeah, not, I'm, that's actually really I'm not, good. I'm not, I'm not here yeah. to say that this match is like people are sleeping on this match and it was actually really great and everything. No, it was just from all the babyface Joey Janela I've seen, this was the best I've seen from him, and I was really pleasantly surprised to see how well he did in that role in the and to make it onto and to almost make a Sean Spears match interesting. Yeah, and that's a was a good point to make, and as you said that, it, it kind of popped in my head because in my mind I was kind of comparing it to the Joey Janela Evolve run, where he kind of showed off that he could wrestle, you know, and 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 it was really good. And this didn't have that, but also like the Evolve stuff, he wasn't really a strong babyface, and yeah, this was definitely babyface Joey. So I can definitely see that as a, a good talking point there. The thing about Spears too is that I'm not one of these people who says that he's bad, like. I actually think he's a pretty he's good wrestler, fine. obviously. Like, 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 but that's the thing about it is because being boring is like the cardinal sin of professional wrestling. Like, at least if you're bad, you can make fun of it. When you're boring, there's nothing to talk about. So I, I think that's what's going on there. But like, I, I understand. It's just he, you know, he didn't doesn't do, he doesn't offer anything either. He just has no star power. I don't even care about boring. He like legitimately has zero star power. It's not even like a lack of charisma. It's it really is just like decades of being defined as a nothing that makes it impossible for me to get invested in him. And that's because of being in developmental in WWE for so fucking. I think long. people. I think it's people just... definitely underestimated that. No, it's gonna take. It's like it's gonna. It would take a long time for him to not feel like a nerd. Like, with like right. And that's the thing. I don't know if it can ever because happen. Because with some people, we always assume well. They were being held back in WWE. No, like Dillinger just was never that good. <laughs> so it's like, like, yeah, like, like, it's, like it's, not, it's not the same as Moxley, where there's clear evidence that Moxley could have been the biggest star in WWE, and they just decided to not do it. Dillinger was just never that good. So when he gets when he gets released and he's doing all this stuff, it's like, like okay, <laughs> like it's not, it's not, right. it's not a point of interest as to where. Moxley, there was always this what if factor. No one has ever given a fuck about Sean Spears. Right. The thing about Moxley, too, is that not just he could have been the, the biggest star in the company, there was a time period where he was the most popular babyface. Oh, he was. I'm saying that so it is, WWE, like, they yeah, didn't, like, let, didn't let it happen. It almost happened twice. Right. When, right. So, yeah. You know, yeah. when Roman when Roman Reigns is dealing with the hernia, and him and, Ra- and Ambrose and Rollins at the top feud, and the crowds are just molten hot. For Ambrose, and even, and even when Reigns is still there, the crowd the crowds are molten hot for Ambrose. And then going into and going into WrestleMania 2016, when they do that Triple H versus Ambrose match at uh, at Roadblock yeah, with the with the block. with the fall with the false finish is really is really is really hot. So 
that's that's why Moxley, regardless of what happens in his post WWE run, that's why he has that interest factor because there was a clear uh, there was a clear level of him being held back from what he could be possibly be accomplishing. Sean Spears is just Sean Spears. Yeah. Yeah, even at his best, he's always been Sean Spears. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, three-way tag team title match. SCU, Lucha Bros, I, uh, Private Party. I. This is another one. Fine match. Good action. Uh, they did actually a really good job with the three-way. A lot of times, three-way tags suck and are pointless but this they i think they did a good job teasing stuff really like the stuff with like private party um i think it was mark quinn looking for the tag on a double down and and cassidy is missing from his corner and he had so he has to tag in one of the members of scu i thought that was a nice little psychology piece that made it make sense why would you tag in somebody from another team it was like he really had to um so like stuff like that i think that they did a really good job with the structure that gets overlooked because i think a lot of people think of you know, three-way tag team matches just fireworks and, and doesn't need to have any psychology. But I thought that they did a good job telling, actually telling a story here. Um, you know, obviously got to give credit to SCU on that and, and probably to Christopher Daniels who shows up in the end. Um, so you know that he was probably involved in putting the match together. Um, so it had that, you know, ring generalship psychology kind of aspect to it as well. Um, another one though that like nothing, I don't understand why this match is happening realistically on paper you know what i mean it didn't there was no build there was nothing to it to me that made sense why we're getting why these two teams are getting a, a tag team title shot i mean lucha bros have the medallions to say that the number one contender so why is private party in yeah here? why is private you why is private party like the entire build of the tournament led, like obviously like led to scu versus lucha bros but you should have just did the rematch there straight up and if you didn't want to just do the yeah. rematch and have lucha bros lose again why didn't you just do scu versus private party Right. Yeah, it didn't make any sense to have the three-way. They And they, like I said, they impressively did a good job with the three-way gimmick and, like, actually made it make sense in the context of the psychology of the match. But the only issue was is that I didn't understand why the match was happening. So it's like you can do everything you can to make it make sense in the match. If, if it's flawed that it even exists, then the structure doesn't really matter. Um, the return of Daniels at the end was good, but felt really feels oh, too that fast. Was dumbest, too soon that was dumb as shit. Like... Yeah, that's that's one of my problems. That's another one of the things I want to talk about here. <laughs> Why has AEW done the lights off thing for four separate people now? <laughs> they've done it for Cody. I, they've done it for Orange Cassidy. They've done it for um. Did it for Daniels here, and they did it. For, and they did it. For, and they did it for somebody else. Uh, did they do it for Mox? No, no, Dark Order. That's who it was. It was Dark Order. Dark Order, and they kept doing it for Dark Order. Yeah, yeah. so. They, that like, I, that's a small thing, but that really pissed me off. You can't keep doing that. This, <laughs> this company's obsessed with it, though. I mean, th they've had how many lights out matches, and their you know secondary YouTube show is called AEW Dark. So they're just they're obsessed with the lights being. Yeah, turned but if off, you keep turning the lights the off, it, it defeats the whole per the whole, defeats the whole point of what made the lights <laughs> going off special in wrestling in the first place. We're going back, dating back, right. dating back to San, Sabu. Like, yeah, Sabu, Sandman, <laughs> even Undertaker. Like the lights going off got saved for special moments. Why are you just having four people who had, like for no reason at all just have the lights go off? I don't know if it's a joke, if it's a rib. Knowing those guys, maybe it could, it could be a joke, but it just looks bad. In 
that's the thing about what the stuff I'm saying is that this is easily fixable stuff. It's not stuff that really is a big deal, but it's stuff that adds up and just looks bad at some point. Yeah, definitely. It it does because it, it takes away, like you said, it takes away from the uh, the importance and the the gravitas of the situation when you just repeatedly keep going to it over and over again. The, ma- the, um, ma- the match was good. Like you said, the biggest problem here is that no one knew why this match was happening, so no one is reacting to it, but that's what, you know, Phoenix is good for that. Phoenix is good to get a crowd that's sitting on their hands in tune and excited because he does some insane spots that you're not going to see anywhere else in wrestling. But it, it was it was good action, and you, but you got to what I was gonna say. I if you're gonna do this, I feel like you I feel like you could have just done SEU versus Private Party. Right, it probably would have been a better match too. Um, and on top of that, like yeah, the the, the post match stuff with the lights already is I know is your pet peeve, but like why was Daniels dressed like oh Pentagon my god, why was he dressed him? as Pentagon? <laughs> It's not like it doesn't make any. None of it makes any fucking sense. Like what? It was stupid was as, it was stupid as hell, a... man. Like, like there's, there's, like there's no yeah. way to cut it. Like, why, why did he feel the need to dress up as Pentagon? Why are so many people dressing up as Pentagon? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. They bought. It's the thing is, is that AEW bought a second Pentagon suit for the Jericho angle, and they just gotta, they gotta use it. They're just like, we're gonna keep using this fucking thing, and we gotta get our money's worth out of this. Um. Because, yeah, I mean, geez, it's, it's, this is now twice that people have dressed up like Pentagon. The lights are going out constantly. And like I said, like, this feels way too soon. Dan, it feels like Daniels went out, what, th- three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and he's back yeah. already? Why did he have to go? Why did he, you know what I mean? Why did he leave the tournament? Why was like, he Can I kind of stepping on the fact that Scorpio Sky had this big moment by <laughs> bringing Daniels back? Yeah. Now Daniels is just back, whatever. So, I don't know. I, I. I think that this match, in a lot of ways, was really epitomized the biggest issues with the company and stuff just feeling like slapdash thrown together, repetitive, and not, like, just not making any fucking sense. <laughs> like, it really, nothing, almost nothing about this match made any sense. And, and, they, um, and they, that's the thing, the TV has been better about this. But right, I think what this show was, was putting things in perspective. That while the TV has been good, it's been very enjoyable TV. From an in-ring perspective, there's been good promos. There's been good. There's been good put together backstage stuff and vignettes and all that. From an entertainment standpoint, has been very good TV. But they created something where that none of that actually translated into anything making sense or being or being popular, other than the two main events. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's true, and that I think is exemplified by the next match. Honestly, Riho versus. Why did you Emi not Sakura? air the Riho versus Emi Sakura video package with Kenny Omega talking about it on Dynamite? <laughs> Why Who did you not knows? do that? <laughs> There's I know. no excuse. I know. Why didn't you not build this? There's for no me? excuse like, yeah. at all, especially with this backstory and a really cool one at that. And you wait until the day of the pay per view to promote that at all. Or you wait until Kenny Omega says it on Twitter to promote it to promote it at all. That's fucking insane. You can't do that. You cannot do why that. Why even book the match? Why even book this match? You're flying Amy Sakura all the way over from Japan specifically because of the history that they have, and you build nothing out of it. This why? Is, this, Just they're don't sitting fucking there. Do it. Get get anyone. They're sitting there crying before this match. 
about both Emmy and Riho about the fact that they're doing this and they're having this match in front of all these people concerning their beginnings and all, and all this stuff and they are crying. If if this was if this is any actual build, if, if this was even in Japan, this feels like a this would have the classic feel of a lot of the old eighty like late eighties early nineties Joshi stuff with just the pure and raw emotion of it. But they don't build it at all, so it lacks any of that. And Rio and Emmy have to work from the ground up to get anyone to care about this match. And by God, they they did it. They did it. And they got the crowd and they got the crowd invested in it. And they did a lot of cool and smart stuff, roaming around pin combinations and Riho, and Riho of winning the pin combination that Emmy got her with last time, and Riho getting pinning her with her own, and and all of that. But what they shouldn't have had to do that. You should have conveyed the emotion of this story. And granted, would the crowd have cared for this even if you had ran that video package? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe even probably not. But you have had to, you have to at least try there, and that's my problem here. It didn't feel like they tried at all, and that's unacceptable. Right, and I, you know, talked about Pac, Pac being the most flawless worker in AEW, but I mean, you want to talk about the kind of the workhorse of the mid card of AEW? It's Riho. I mean, she has had the most uphill battles. She's been in the most bad situations. The most making, you know chicken salad out of chicken shit as they say constantly i mean she is you know it's not she's not flawless like Pac, but she's definitely she's a gamer she's a hard fucking worker and she and not just you know in the work rate kind of melts her sense but in the like getting out there and really having to from the ground up like you talked about with this match make everything count work super hard to build and she has gotten better and better every time learning how to work these crowds to get them into what she's doing. You mentioned a lot of the trading and the callback stuff that really worked. One thing I loved in this match was, you know, Riho has built up that kind of, you know, the, the bridging out of the pin spot that she does constantly. She hits the double stomp on Emmy here. And then Emmy kicks out doing the bridge out pin, you know, that, that Riho has kind of made a staple of her matches. So that's just such a cool little callback that like, shows that investment in the character and shows that investment in the moves of Riho that you can even do a callback to her own move with someone doing it to her and it, it means something. But again, like it's all an uphill battle because they went out of their way to make this match not mean anything. And this is a match that really could have used it because for as good as both these girls are, Emi Sankara does not look like, you know, a top level athlete. Her gear doesn't look great. She's not, you know, a bad worker, but she's a little bit slower. She's not the most cutting edge. Fa- so and, and, this and match and needed older. the emotional like, like, investment. Like, that's understandable. Emmy's yeah. older. Yeah. Yeah. She's older. And so this match should have been built on the emotional investment. You- Chris Jericho's older. Chris Jericho's old as fuck and he's washed up realistically. But the reason why his match was the hottest match on the show is because it had an amazing build and you let the crowd get emotionally invested in it. Same thing you needed here. Emmy's not as old as Jericho. She's not as washed as Jericho either. But this match needed all the bells and whistles and everything it could have used so that the crowd would get into it. And they gave them nothing. They gave them nothing. And like I said about Riho, she has really been the MVP of just busting her ass and taking whatever is given to her and making the most out of it. And that's why it makes sense that Kenny is so high on her as an EVP and a guy who, you know, is someone that he really wants to push because she fucking deserves it. She goes out there every night and she earns every reaction that she gets from the crowd. It's like, 
It's like 205 Live if somehow, like, you know, those guys were actually able to get the crowds on their side. I mean, you know, they kind of did, especially um, Ali. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, you could compare her to, to Ali, Prince Ali, um, in that, like, she goes out there in front of a flat, dead crowd, and she wins them over almost every time. So, eventually, hopefully, they invest a little bit more in her, and obviously, they, they are invested in her, but hopefully, it starts to take, and she becomes more and more of a star so that when she gets out there she's isn't having to work uphill the entire time and we can start getting even better performances out of her honestly yeah i didn't, I didn't expect both of us to get so so riled up about that one <laughs> i know but it, it was really it was it was embarrassing for them to treat the, these girls this way honestly just because they deserved a lot more and they earned a lot by just having and, a really and it was right, it was right in their hands too. Like it's not like you're struggling to come up with a storyline here. It's right in your hands, and you just decided not to do it. Right. So, because again, like I said, it's not like they didn't know. They didn't bring Emmy Sakura over to wrestle in this match for no. Yeah, fucking they, they reason. knew. They clearly knew. they knew that there was history. Yeah. When they had when they had Emmy pin Riho, you knew. But right, exactly. There's a story there. Ugh, whatever. It's, it's a, it was a good match. It's probably my favorite. It's probably my favorite second favorite match on the show, but. Yeah, mine too. All right, now the main event, the biggest, probably hottest match on the on the on the show for sure, Cody versus Jericho. I mean, Cody can't get blood every match, can he? <laughs> but this one, do you think it was? It real? was real. You think it was? He, he sh- you think it was real? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was. He shows the. Um... So I had a real like roller coaster of emotions <laughs> watching this though. So if first okay. he does it. And I was like, I see, I see that. Oh man, I'm like, Cody's about the blade here. It looks like a fresh blonde dye job, and he does the he does the uh, the ramp bump. And I was like, oh man, here we go. And he comes up, and like it stops bleeding really quick. And obviously, yeah. like, and obviously they do like the like the referee coming over and checking on him. But I was like, may, oh maybe they're just going for like this real sports feel or whatever. So he did blade, but he's but they're not going to go too crazy with it because they want to have this real feel to it. But then, uh, but then the bleeding stopped, and I was like, "Oh man, Cody's a coward. He he used he used a blood capsule." And then I was like, "No, no." Oh. <laughs> and then I was like, "No, he actually did just get cut open, pretty bad hard way, and it wasn't yeah. it, like the blood wasn't planned at all, and him him getting med- the medical attention was legit medical attention, and which is why the bleeding stopped. But yeah, there was there was a picture of his eyebrow." after the after the show had gone off the air which which is which is yeah that that was that was a legit that was legit blood yeah well yeah when you see the reason why that the cuts that they do with the with a small blade on the forehead bleed so much is because they're surface level just on your you know your epidermis yeah. your skin basically but when they go deep and it's like a sub cut you get down into like the fat layers it's not going to bleed as much because there's just not as much blood flow in those areas so that's basically what happened here is uh got down deep because it's a big it's right on the eyebrow ridge so pretty nasty pretty nasty and you can see you can see a little you know kind of fat chunk in the in the cut when you get when they do an up close shot of it you can actually see how deep it is so it's pretty pretty bad i i was with you like i i definitely assumed it was real still think it's real it obviously is i think you said he mentioned it or whatever um they did all the bells and whistles here, obviously, which is what you would expect, but it worked. I mean, the crowd is hot. The stuff with the mom. I mean, fuck. The stuff with the mom. That like, ruled. They did everything. Like, like what's that up? ruled. Like, like, it had all the bells, yeah. bells and whistles in it ruled, and that's what Cody obviously is going to rely on. But even down to him 
getting like hitting his head on the ramp and everything afterwards is Jericho is in control and Cody gets hope spots, but it's clearly Jericho in control at that point. And I bite on the near falls. Like I really bit on that crossroads that Jericho takes. Jericho takes a great crossroads. I was shocked. <laughs> like, like the kind of crossroads he took. That's one sort of the one that he bumped on the top of his yeah, head. Like, it's like it was one weird. Like, that you would think Kota Bushi would take. It was insane. Yeah. So I bit on, I bit on that crossroads and then even the finish. So my main thing with Jericho during this whole run is that he has this persona he's going for being wild and dangerous and evil and mean and the pain maker and all that stuff. And it doesn't actually translate to his matches. The finish here with him stomping on Cody's head while he has him in the lion tamer. It looked awesome. It looked super mean, super devastating. And I believed at that very moment that Jericho is an evil, mean person. And I had not felt like that throughout this entire Jericho run from the first Omega match, the Naito matches, anything that he was this pain maker or this e- or this or person or really getting into this evil character that he had that he had been building up. But right there at that finish, I believed it. And I guess now we can talk about the finish, but that being NGF throwing in the towel, even again, smoking mirrors really doing really really pulling everything out of the playbook but because of how jericho was stomping on his head and because of the blood and because of the selling that cody was doing it felt valid it felt believable it felt legitimate that oh no mjf has to stop it because cody is really getting killed out here and he's unconscious and getting his head stepped on while being contorted in a in a in a way that humans aren't supposed to bend he need, like he threw the towel in because he wanted to save his friend from further damage. It felt like that. It didn't feel like a ham-fisted thing. And I was not excited for this match going in. I was not interested in this match going in at all. I, I anticipated something where the promo would have been great and that would have been the extent of it. And then I just have a fine standard pro wrestling match. But I honestly thought this was a that, that thought this was a very very well done match by two wrestlers that are very limited, but they are also perfect for each other because they're limited and they know to work about work around both their limitations. Yeah. And we talked, I've you know talked a bit on here about the, the political genius of Cody Rhodes. Um, and it does like you talked about, like this is the first time that it felt like Jericho had to really go ruthless all out in his violence. A lot of, the stuff that you talk about with his nature, it f- felt showy and he's a goofy, you know, he's, he's playing eighties heel in some ways, especially in Japan. He's doing the caricature and the stuff like, you know, grabbing the camera and attacking young boys and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's attacking Uno's red shoes, Uno's kid, all that kind of stuff. Like felt like the epitome of like caricature, like, you know, Oh, aren't I such a, a baddie? Look at me. Kind of you look thing at me, I'm, pa- I'm painting my face like... up and I have yeah. these black lines going down my face. And again, that surface level character work might work for people. I know it has, but for me, it has not moved. It never moved me at all during this entire time. Right. But finally, in this match against Cody, he has to get vicious. And, you know, the torture crab with the boots to the back of the head is just the epitome of, like, that violent level that he's coming all out. But then what's great is, you know, like I said, like, Cody Cody puts himself where he's the guy who has to bring out the real 
mean streak in Jericho and not just this like showy gravitas bravado that he's doing. But then as soon as the match is over, this is the thing again, like we talked, we both talked at the match. As soon as the match is over, inner circle is out. You got the bubbly and Jericho's right back to braggadocious kind of this caricature. I'm living the high life, you know, life is easy heel. So it's like, it's perfect. Cause he, he was in that for a moment. And then you get the, the juxtaposition, um, which is a term that people use incorrectly all the time. And I think I just did as well. Um, that uh, then you see in ring, Cody is at the, his lowest point ever while Jericho is living it up on the ramp with his boys and his champagne and his championship. And then you cut back to Cody and he's distraught and his best friend is on his knees crying because he had to throw in the towel, make his best friend lose the championship uh, because he was worried about him. And then the low blow and Cody's even lower. His best friend turns on him after he loses the title and the champion is celebrating. I mean, the match was awesome. Everything around it, the hoopla, all of it makes it into like a big fucking deal. Like this is, again, this is the kind of stuff. If they could get this to translate to more of the things on the show, then this would, you know, AEW is easily the best company in the world. But, you know, this is just one place where it's all clicking and it's all hitting perfectly. MJF um, was so good in the post match. Like we talk about, people talk about acting and wrestling all the time and making things melodramatic or wrestlers trying to be actors instead of trying to be wrestlers and all that mjf was so good doing this and again you really believe that he was so he was concerned for cody's well-being in this moment where he's on his knees crying and even if you look at his face when he throws the towel in or when he's yelling cody cody like when cody when cody's unconscious in the lion tamer it feels like real emotion and then how quickly he sw- he he flips the switch when he kicks Cody in the dick and just that and just that smile and the fan and the fan throwing a drink at him as he's as he's walk as he's walking walking up the ramp, it was all it's all so perfect, all so perfect. And for as for as much criticism as we've given AEW for this show so far, the one thing they might have hit a legit like a complete home run on, MJF is going to be a star. They always had big plans for him, but that was so good that if MJ, MJF could just take over the company at some point, I think it's gonna be, the, and I think that's gonna be it. I don't think he's gonna be with the inner circle or anything. I think he's gonna be his own entity, and that's and that's gonna and that's gonna spin into a different. That's gonna spin into a different situation. I think now we're looking towards more Chris Jericho versus John Moxley, but MJF is he MJF is special, and he's and he's gonna. He's going to be a really big, big deal for them. Yeah, this and then the follow-up on Dynamite. I think that, yeah, like you said, that they already had high hopes for MJF. I think he's already exceeded all of that to where, like, I wouldn't be shocked if they're rushing booking ideas, if they're throwing booking ideas out the window to really capitalize on this because they should be. Whatever they had planned, I think that they need to go another way where it's more of a focus on MJF more quickly. Because right now the iron is hot and he feels like, yeah, he's ready to be the breakout star that like, you know, I was talking earlier, like Adam Page, like it felt like Adam Page was going to be the guy. Now it really feels like it's going to be MJF. And, and, you know, this is coming from me. Historically, my talking point on MJF is that I thought he was an overrated promo and an underrated in-ring wrestler. But I mean, this was perfect. And I think I've overlooked saying that about him as a promo. I think I focused on the words, what he's saying. And was it you not, know, not, not like the, t- not like the tone and delivery. 
Yeah, and then now when I stop and look at it, it's like it's not a, necessarily about what he says, but like you said, it all feels 100% real. He is, and not just real in that it's authentic. Moxley, everything Moxley says is real, but you don't get a huge range of emotion with Moxley. But MJF, you can get a big range of emotion from this guy, and it's all believable. So, yeah, I mean, he's... There's something there. He could be... This is a crazy thing to say, but just thinking about that, like being so good at this emotion and acting, he could be like a rock level guy in that he could leave wrestling to become a big time actor after a couple of years of being a big star in here in, in AEW. We'll see. I can, I, I but, can, uh, I can really see that. MJF taking off as like, you know, someone in this, someone that like in this social media era where his promos, his angles, his segments could just, just blow up all over the place. There are people that are nostalgic for yeah. the, 90s and 2000s WWE. And I'm not saying that MJF is going to tap into that audience, but for people that love the confidence and braggadocio, like braggadocio nature of the heel rock, whether it was Nation of Domination or even corp, corp, Corporation Rock, that just loved how much of a piece piece of shit he was. I think MJF has the potential to like to like to interest some of those people if they do come across him doing promos or segments or whatever, or whatever the fuck, because he has a lot of that same charisma. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's a undescribable it factor where whatever I think about MJF as a wrestler, I don't know what he's going to be. I think he's fine. I think maybe a little underrated, but as a personality, he has it. And I'd be shocked if he didn't start blowing up after this. Yeah, he should. They should. He should really be a focus for them right now because he's a guy who could be a difference maker for for AEW in the short term, not even just a long term project kind of guy. Okay, so this is something. Just this is like really the only place to bring it up really quick. It had crossed my mind relatively recently, and I think I mentioned it in the Slack chat, but I don't know if anyone noticed it, even you. Um, what do you think to the idea that the Jake Hager, because he comes out with the inner circle to celebrate with with Jericho. That the Jake Hager spot was actually maybe originally planned for Kane Velasquez, like planned for Kane, think, or like yeah, like they were gonna have, or maybe like they, you know, Jericho was gonna have a heater guy, and they were thinking Kane because there was, you know, the idea that they were in talks with AEW with Kane Velasquez as well, and the only reason, or one of the reasons that I think it weirdly makes sense, Jericho has the history with Lucha Libre, and everybody else in his stable of the Inner Circle are all. Let like Latinx, so like mm. would it have been that insane that Jericho's entire group would have been all like Latino guys if it had been Kane Velasquez instead of Jake Hager? Huh. I'm not. That 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 would have that would have been interesting if he was he would have just had a group of of all just let's Latino Latino men, but I don't, I don't I don't know. It do, it does make sense though, just because. They're running with this thing of Jake Hager being the big intimidating muscle and selling this idea that he's a real danger, like dangerous man. Um, side note: I really loved AEW focusing in on Jake Hager, ning a guy in the dick. Yeah, <laughs> just gonna make that a thing for him. Um, the Hager effect. Yeah, I just love that. But I, don't know, I think there's, I think there's some truth to that. I do think that it would have, it might have been a little short lived. Maybe and you would have initially got Kane Velasquez in that role. I think they might have they might have turned him babyface relatively soon after that. But right, yeah, I, I'm not. That's not a crazy idea. Yeah, I just I thought about it 
instant like i just kind of thought about it and then i started thinking about like oh yeah everybody else in the group is is latino so like it would have kind of made sense like jericho has jericho's worked triple a jericho has a history in lucha libre that's where you know kane was so i was just like huh that'd be weird but yeah anyways i just i thought about that a while ago and i meant to bring it up and then i I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I should bring it up now because he shows up for a second here. Off topic, did um, you ever catch that um, Brock versus Kane match from Saudi Arabia? No, no, I did not. How was it? So it's, ac- it's actually good. Like, it's not like the peak of the grapple fuck style, but it's right. it's good. It's like realistic. It's realistic stuff. Kane is dominating Brock or clearly has the advantage over Brock and obviously if you know their background Kane is the guy that quote unquote retired Brock Lesnar and all that so that all checks out if you're in if you're someone I know you are that like you know well at least was or in, was into that MMA lore in that back in that backstory yeah. there so they teased that and then Brock only beats Kane by the skin of his teeth but it, it but, I, but the praise I saw software was like uh like yeah, now, now I don't even want, now don't don't even want to talk about the match anymore because I'm like now we're going way too far with it, right? And I and obviously yeah, I, mean, I got like I'm not gonna sit there and give anyone satisfaction of streaming the fucking Saudi Arabia show. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Um, did you see the, the you I you had to have I was gonna say did you see you saw Bloodsport so you saw the you've seen the the Frank Mir kind of shoot style stuff that he's yeah. done right? Do you think? That he would have been better in the position wrestling Brock in like a WWE format like that than Kane no, was because no, I haven't seen the no, Kane no, match. But no, what do you think? No. I don't. I don't think Frank Mir is very good at this stuff. I, okay. I don't. I don't think. I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, think Frank. I think Frank Mir likes wrestling. I'm not sure if he's very interested in learning how to like mold what he does into the pro wrestling format. Right. And I think Kane has been very receptive to it, and Kane has learned how to do all that stuff while. Still, main, still, while still maintaining his field, like sort of aura and legitimacy, while mixing in sort of like traditional Lucha Libre spots in his time in AAA, which was he was he was actually doing very well in the spot in the spots to the, in the spots that I saw him do. And you know, if you're gonna do MMA stuff, then no, like Kane is a, one of the best heavyweights of all time. He's gonna look perfectly fine doing you know doing like some practice run MMA feeling stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think Frank has the same mind for wrestling that Kane does. No. Yeah. I mean, f- obviously Kane actually respects wrestling and is trying. And it felt it feels like Mir is trying to do like a payday situation. Right. But like you know the the stuff that Frank Mir does felt legit. But that's also because it felt like he just does more what he would do in an MMA, and he doesn't really bring in the the wrestling side of things. So I just I was just kind of wondering about that because I haven't seen the Kane match. I'll have to check. I I'll have to check it out based on you know you giving it five stars <laughs> it's, it's, it's two minutes you. so yeah it's you, two minutes you can find it on twitter like it, it's it's worth the two <laughs> minutes at least right all right well that's uh that is the aew show we reviewed every match that was on the aew show now um, we go to the un to the unsanctioned portion the of the podcast sanction the, the light yeah the lights are out let's turn the lights off in here and hopefully christopher daniels doesn't show up um I, I, how would you feel if christopher daniels just showed, showed up in your house after you turn the lights off <laughs> You start, you just turn the lights back going, and Christopher concerned. Daniels is just in in your room, in your room, dressed as your wife. <laughs> yeah, right. Did I? I would be. It would be really weird, but that just reminded me. I don't know if I've ever told you this story or mentioned it on a podcast, but one time, so when Christopher Daniels switched over to the singlet in ROH, I made some kind of tweet about like why is Christopher Daniels wearing a singlet now? 
um you know and just like whatever like is he giving up on working out or something like that christopher daniels dm'd me and told me that he just wanted to switch his look up and he was just looking for something different <laughs> he just had to clarify for so you but... he just had to let me know and i don't know i don't think i added him i think he you know vanity searched chris daniels and and he, he didn't even respond on you know on the timeline he had to dm me and uh, so yeah if i turned the lights off and he showed up i'd just be worried that he's wearing a singlet i guess <laughs> um or maybe i'd be more worried that he's not wearing no, a singlet. no i just he just no. um Christopher Daniels went through a whole bunch of look changes. Now he's just gonna like show up at show up at your house wearing wearing long pants. It's just like, oh no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, he's asking me if I pr- approve. Um, Omega Moxley lights out, unsanctioned, um, ultra violent. Uh, this is this the only thing that could have made this match better is if it was happening in DJ's mom's uh, backyard or something. The peak of um, violence in professional wrestling. We should never yes. see anything like this again. It is disturbing. And both guys should be above this. Yes. And I, I'm very happy that AEW did not sanction this match because they oh, could man. Get, Can you imagine you know, if Tony Khan let this, like, let this match be sanctioned? Like, <laughs> Yeah, if this was happening under his umbrella of his company. Could you, I mean, people think that the impeachment stuff going on with Trump is big news, but could you imagine the c- congressional testimonies that would be happening right now if AEW had allowed this kind of wanton violence to happen on their sanctioned program? Yeah, I mean... There's a lot of gimmicky stuff in here. One thing I mentioned that I thought was very funny is like the, the attack on Mox, you know, on this match and the, oh, this was the people who had to go the other way. This is too fake. Oh, rubber tipped barbed wire, sugar glass, all this. And it's like, it's John Moxley. I mean, John Moxley's most famous CZW thing is the fake Sawzall to his head. He even in a fucking shoot interview said like, yeah, are you stupid enough to think that there was a real saw blade to my head? Like, of course. So to go like, oh, I can't believe that they, did, you know, people are losing their minds about this because it's, oh, this is fakey bullshit. They're not really doing hardcore death match. It's like, it's Moxley. He's always kind of been one of the guys who's willing to do fakey. And it's fucking pro wrestling. Oh, 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 oh. So not everything has to be real. And not only that, it's like, what did you expect from a company that airs on TNT? Are you expecting fucking Nick Gage, Nick Gage almost dying? At tournament, at tournament yeah. of death level shit, like, like, like I, I, piranha cactus death. Match, like, are we right? are we expecting the June Kasai gusset plate spot where the Cantler the like just a bloody June Kasai face just pops up on your screen? Like, I, I, I don't <laughs> Jimmy Lloyd with scissors in his yeah, neck. Yeah, like, I'm like, what are we what expecting are we here? here? Like, I don't know what kind of GCW pervert shit that that was go- was going on there. I didn't see it, but that's like super unrealistic and then there's the other end there where dave is going on talking about this being five times more gruesome than any gc um, any, any bjw <laughs> death match which lets me know you don't actually watch the, the big japan death yeah, matches right. uh, yeah what was the fish and chips uh market death match where it was like a bucket of broken beer bottles and salt yeah like salt like, and like like all types all types of nasty <laughs> shit like it's like just terrible yeah. but no like at, at, at best case scenario i enjoyed that i like i enjoy this match and then it's like just you know it goes away or it's fine and it goes away the worst case scenario is, is exactly what happened it's long in it's long and meandering and then it turns into all these think pieces of from people from i was talking about the violence of it and it felt like yeah. a fight and it was nasty it felt like a feud ender and all and all this stuff and not even getting into the points of like um why did why did these two hate each other so much like <laughs> like 
you know, like obviously, I'm not yeah. gonna say it act like there wasn't any build here, but no one actually. There was a decent build, but it was yeah. a good build. Like why? Like why do they hate each other so much? You know, like, but I think what we got here was a worst case scenario. We got a really bloated Kenny Omega version of what a death match is, but Kenny Omega is getting way too much shit for that. This is also on Moxley. And I imagine this is the kind of stuff that Moxley had wanted to do with Brock Lesnar, but Brock Lesnar told him to fuck off. Right. And I think this is the realization. And you get this match. Once again, we're proven that Brock Lesnar is the best, smartest mind in wrestling, and he was right to tell him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I tried. Well, I even watched this twice, actually. I, I tried really hard to like this match, and it's just. I just, I, it's just not for me, man. And, and anyone that likes it, I'm actually even a little confused because I don't know. It feels like talking about how hateful and violent it was, also skipping over the points where the crowd isn't interested in all, interested in all, at all. And that's not saying that the, that the crowd should dictate your enjoyment of the match, but I do think that if it was so violent and the crowd is just so in awe of what they're seeing, you would get some actual reaction there and there was there was there was nothing there at this point and there was some mean stuff like the upper back and back of the head of moxley bleeding profusely kenny omega landing face first on the exposed board during that phoenix splash it looked it looks insane but all in all i think you just get the worst version of a wwe gimmick match but then it's sitting yes. here trying to be acting like act as if it's edgy with the with the Caribbean pit and the broke in the in the glass and the exposed in the in the barbed wire what in the barbed wire weapons and all that stuff. So you're getting this like they're getting like the most violent scenario of a WWE gimmick match, and it goes 38 minutes, and it's just for me that's just not it. Yeah, no, I mean, it It really was the epitome of, like, a WWE plunder match where they just tried to, like, turn it up by having influences from real hardcore ultra-violent death matches, um, which is fine and couldn't be done well, but this felt like a stunt show. This really just felt like, let's go from gimmick to gimmick slowly. It really was the, the death match version of the over-bloated, over-long kind of New Japan main event style that Kenny Omega, like, in a lot of ways perfected with Okada. Um, and created the like you know seven star matches. Um, this was just taking that kind of philosophy and applying it to a deathmatch setting, basically. And I'm all for experimentation and wrestling. I'm sorry, those things don't go together. Trying, no, try, really trying don't. to go full wrestling visionary and like how far we can, t- can we take wrestling as an art form and all that shit. And trying to apply that to death matches. Look, there are great mat- death matches, all time great. Yes death matches that would that could realistically be someone's best match of all time and i think that's a perfectly valid and good pick like if someone told me that gage versus Tremont 2 from 2017 was the best match was the best match of the 2010s i would not argue with you at all but then here's when we get into the tricky territory they gage and Tremont, two of the best death match workers of all time do that trilogy in 2017 and the first two are great but we get to the third one Third one goes like an hour long. An hour long death match. And this is where you lose people. Some people liked it. 
which I understand. It's like one of the rarest explorations of, de- of, of a death match ever to be done. But at its core, why is a death match going an hour long? And that sort of the, the, it sort of gets into the same principle here. Obviously, not a death match, not as violent death match traits or qualities to it. But there is no reason for a match that is death match adjacent to be going this long. It just it just doesn't work that way, and I think goes through all of the purpose that you're getting from a death match, and then that just turns into bloated WWE gimmick match stuff. There's a fine line there, and they and they crossed over into WWE gimmick match more than violent death match. Yeah, I mean you really you can't you can easily overstay your welcome in this format, and when the stuff becomes this contrived and it feels like you're going so much setup between spots. And it just, it loses that visceral hatred and violence that feels like you're getting from just random acts of carnage happening without so much setup. I mean, adding in the melodrama with the young bucks, bringing out the, the, the Caribbean kind of spider web, just like, is just ridiculous. I mean, it really is. That's why, can, can, that's why can, Kenny Omega, dead. Kenny Omega, and they're telling him he's going too far. And he's like, no, fuck you. Give me the pit. Then they're like, all right, well, we can't stop you, so we're going to get you the pit now. Like, why are we doing this? Why, yeah, like, why are it's, we doing this? It, the reason why, like, the Tournament of Death or Cage of Death and stuff work is because all the gimmicks and everything are just out there. We've all signed up for what's happening here, and this is what's happening. This one, you, you're trying to, like, slowly reveal and tease unfolding the story. And it worked for a little bit. I would say, honestly, up until the sugar glass, or not the sugar glass, I shouldn't say that because people have been saying that. Up until he pulls out the, the bag of glass, I think that the way that they kind of were just showing, like slowly bringing out stuff, felt fine. Almost natural, a bit contrived, and still too much. And that would have been enough. But yeah, then they continued to go and they went too far. Going through the stage light thing... That is like the epitome of WWE bullshit, you know, and to put that WWE in this context for like it, over yeah, 10 years yeah. and like, yeah, again, me, me and you, people that are realistic, we know what AEW is and what AEW caters to people that want to like WWE, but are tired of like the incompetent writing and the inconsistencies there and just want something that's WWE, but good, which is what AEW right. has been so far, but it's like so blatantly still WWE that, you know, it's like, all right, like, why am I even watching this still then? Right. Yeah. And this was, this was taking it, this took it way too far. The build and stuff, like you said, I think that we missed kind of what made this make sense, but I thought that there was a good build here for a match that could have been toned down. Honestly, it's a good Um, pro wrestling. It's a good pro wrestling build. And then it, but then, like, I like the video. I like the video package they did. Kenny Omega, especially, he's really good in these video package spots, which it makes it weird when people right. are like, you know, talking about Kenny Omega doing promos or whatever. And I've talked, we, we talked about that. Kenny Omega just not being a guy that's really done promos. So when they're doing, when you're watching this video package, it's like, oh man, Kenny can be such an effective talker sometimes. But yeah, Mox storming into Tony Khan's office. And Kyle's like, yeah, man, we, we can't we can't air this. We can't do this. And it just feels so forced. And uh, most, like most, the thing about AEW that I've liked so far is that everything has felt pretty natural for the most part in the company. And 
right there, even though the build is there, even though, like, yes, you can justify it. Mox, Mox put Omega through a glass table. They've been attacking. They've been attacking each other for months now. They talk shit. They talk shit about each other all the time. There's there's pent up frustration and anger because they didn't get to do their match the first time and all that. I understand that. But once they did that Tony that Tony Khan thing and they had Mox storm into the office, that's that's just when it got into too much territory for me. Right, and and it would have probably helped if we didn't get the the match getting interrupted. Um, by the, the the injury or the infection or whatever um and maybe the storyline would have built a little bit more naturally at this point where stuff could have felt like we we had a reason why we we're getting here um it's possible that that could have made a difference i don't know i did like the booking i like the where the booking is at honestly right now um i did tweet this out but you know i think that the mini feud between omega and and janella did a really good job to set the table for showing that kenny is not you know he's game for these situations but he's not the master of these situations why you know he had such a tough time with janella um in a lights out kind of unsanctioned setting but then in a regular wrestling match he's able to beat him and then you can lead that into now a you know a return match between these two that's in a you know is sanctioned as a regular wrestling match and will kenny have the upper hand there because he's the better wrestler like i think you are able to actually have this now like you do there it's funny because they're doing another WWE thing, which I, you know, again, we're kind of shitting on how much WWE stuff they do, but like the WWE thing where like feuds will start out with a gimmick match because it's that time of year, it's hell in the cell. So the first, yeah, match and, the, the and then they'll like, actually blow it off cell. with just a regular match. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're doing that here or they're, they could possibly do that here, but they actually built it in a way where it makes sense. Yeah, sure. Unlike WWE where it just happens because of what time of year it yeah, is. Because, yeah, so, but- you know, there's, there's kudos to that. I'm not saying it was bad, but it's just more of a more of a disappointment because you know that this specific match I feel like could have been better, and the eventual match to a rematch they have I don't know what the plan what the plan is going forward I don't know when the next pay per view for them is, but I do think that they're gonna have another match and I do think that a straight up match between them will be better than what we than what we got at full gear, but. While I understand that they actually do, are doing a WWE trope in a smart and interesting way, it's also it's also still a point that I, I don't I don't know, man. I also think they're they're better than doing that if that makes sense. Yeah, and they just shouldn't be doing it. But yeah, well, Quentin, it feels like I don't know. You got any other last points you want to make before we head out? Oh no, nah, man. I think we. Kind of, I think we covered full gear, really, really in depth there. I yeah. think I didn't even realize, I didn't yes. realize we went two we went two hours on that show. I know, I know. It was uh, it was definitely a lot more than I expected. I thought this would be a, a quickie. Um, speaking of, I guess maybe we'll make up a little bit next week. Might take the week off. Might have something special still up in the air. So I don't know uh, what you want to say in general, Quentin. But uh, but I'll just leave that out there for people. So. Be prepared. Next week, you might get nothing. You might get something different. Yeah. So uh, I think Sim said it pretty much there. Might be. It might be a show next week. Might be something different. So no, there'll still be there'll be there'll still be something coming out ne- next weekend. So be on the lookout for that. And that's all for me.